guidance, wisdom, and support as we begin this meeting. We gather here intent to doing good work. We seek to represent fairly and well. Those who have given us this task, give us clarity and strength and use on our best skills and judgment. Please bless this community, the residents, businesses, and visitors, and help us continue doing good work in your name. Amen. Roll call, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Here. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Here. Councilmember Brooks? Present. Councilmember Dietz? Here. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Present. Mayor Gray? Here. All are present? Thank you. Please rise, Pledge of Allegiance. I'll start out with council comments. Um, unfortunately, this is uh, something I've talked about a few times over the last four and a half years. Um, I got a call, I don't know, about a week and a half ago uh, from a friend of mine uh, uh, that I grew up with, uh, and his brother uh, took his own life. Um, and it just, just reminds me um, that how hard life can be day to day for all of us. Um, and reminds me that we have no clue what other people are going through. Um, zero. And like every, everybody I know is going through something. Uh, probably everybody in this room is going through something. Everybody listening or everybody that's, that's this dais is going through something that um, is painful or hard or sad, um, either with their family or friends and that kind of thing. So just I'm asking you for a, a wide berth of grace for your friends, your family, the people you don't know. Um, please understand they might be going through something you guys have no idea what's going on. Well, I have no idea what's going on. Um, I'm, I'm asking that of myself as well to try to be better with, with people. Um, and I do appreciate that. And with that, Ryan, Ryan Hollingshead. Thanks, Mayor. No comment tonight. Thank you. Councilmember Cavey? Uh, yes, a couple comments. First, I would like to say thank you to Jen and Parks and Rec. Uh, we are getting the Buffalo Soldiers. Um, they are coming to um, the cattle drive this year. So I'm very excited about that, and I appreciate her hard work getting that um, set up. The second item that I would like to bring up is the Douglas County Fairgrounds. Um, I do believe that we have jurisdiction over the Douglas County Fairgrounds from everything that I have read. Um, that is my understanding of it. I also want to say that there was some emails going around from one of our commissioners stating that there were changes made to the event contract that would not allow things like nudity or cabaret-like performances. Um, that is inaccurate. That did not happen. Um, Anybody today can go and download that contract and there is no such language change. Um, the language change did come under the fairground policies, not in the contract, um, but it still talks about a sexually oriented business. And I'm not sure that events fall under a sexually oriented business. So I have some concerns about that. Um, two, I do believe if anything happened at the Douglas County Fairgrounds, we are legally liable. 
um, the town, the fairgrounds is within the town boundary, um, therefore they are subject to our town ordinances and it should be treated as such. Um, I also want to read something that came from one of our commissioners, uh, just one paragraph. Um, it was from an email that uh, from a um, citizen and it says, as a matter of clarity, your analysis includes reference to a Douglas County zoning regulation. The portion of the fairgrounds where the Castle Rock Pride event has historically occurred is in the town of Castle Rock, subject to Castle Rock zoning. So I would like to make a motion that by the next meeting, which I believe is what, August 18th? 15th. 15th that we get clarity around this issue. Whether it takes our attorney sitting down with the county attorney, whether it takes all of us having a discussion, um, whatever it takes, I want to understand exactly who has jurisdiction over the Douglas County Fairgrounds. Second. I have a first from Laura Cavey, a second from Tim Dietz. I guess I have some follow-up questions. Uh, Michael. Um, You've already met with the county attorney. Is there anything you can put the light to this? Uh, yes, I have. I mean, I don't think uh, jurisdiction is any question. We have police power over all of the uh, property that's within the town boundaries. I don't think uh, any of the uh, issues we've had so far have concerned jurisdiction. It's just a matter of uh, who operates the fairgrounds, what their policies are. I mean, that's uh, in the hands of the uh, Douglas County commissioners but it's not a jurisdictional issue, never has been. Thank you. Any more discussion? Just, I have a question just so I can understand the motion. Um, is, is the motion specific to jurisdiction? Yes. If we do have jurisdiction, then we should be looking at um, what is happening at the Douglas County Fairgrounds and any of our public um, facilities, whether it's Festival Park, whether it's the MAC, wherever it is. Sure, sure. Okay, is it appropriate? Can I make a comment? Sure, go ahead and make a comment. Okay, it, you know, I, I would I would support the motion simply because if there's confusion, you know, on any level whatsoever with any of us, I believe that having the conversation to clarify that is of utmost importance, right? Um, that's all I'm going to say. I, I just think it's a good idea to make sure that we're all on the same page. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. So I'd like to um, ask our town lawyer again, who has jurisdic jurisdiction, in your opinion, um, based on the county fairgrounds and their event? Well, uh, thank you, Mayor Pertem Bracken. Uh, jurisdictional issue is uh, really uh, one of concurrent jurisdiction, okay? So you have uh, a county that has a fairgrounds facility. County determines how they operate the fairground facility, what uh, uh, policies they will do uh, and, and employ. Uh, if you're talking about uh, jurisdiction, uh, police power jurisdiction to enforce criminal laws, uh, you know, it would be concurrent. I mean, the, uh, uh, certainly the, the, the Cass Rock Police has jurisdiction over all the uh, property within town boundaries. And the Sheriff's Department has jurisdiction to enforce laws uh, throughout the entire county. So uh, it has been my understanding that uh, uh, the county, uh, for all their facilities, uh, they 
primarily go to the sheriff's department if there's an issue, uh, and the sheriff's department uh, will uh, provide uh, whatever uh, police presence, and that's typically what is done at county buildings. It's sort of like sheriff's department isn't here. You see our uh, Castle Rock police uh, providing uh, uh, essentially uh, security and a presence here at the, the town building, but it's not a jurisdictional issue. It, I mean, there's concurrent jurisdiction for both law enforcement agencies, and. Uh, uh, the Cass Rock Police uh, not only enforce the laws of the town, but they also enforce state law. Uh, Douglas County enforces state law. They do not have the authority to enforce town laws. Uh, so uh, it, that's really what you're, you're, you're looking at here. Okay, so if I'm a student at Douglas County High School and I mm -hmm. call the police, who's going to show up to the, to the Douglas County School District High School? That is a good question because I believe it's Douglas County the, High School. The, du the Douglas County yeah. High School is in the unincorporated county. It's yeah. not within the town boundaries. So the sheriff's department, the sheriff's department provides the the school resource officer. I, don't, I think they may call it school resource deputy, but they, they provide the law enforcement um, presence there. They also respond to um, law enforcement issues there. We have obviously have mutual aid. Um, opportunities if there's a patrol car on Front Street and and, and we're there and the sheriff deputy is away will will respond obviously it's all within the uh, Castle Rock Fire Rescue Department mm -hmm. um, boundaries it, uh, it, um, including the, the fire district boundaries for, um, uh, for for that property as well yeah and, and it, the thing is it's a, there are a lot of uh, Douglas County facilities that are not annexed to the town, and some are, like uh, the, the building over on uh, 3rd, uh, and I believe Castleview High School is annexed, isn't it, Dave? Correct. No, Castleview is within That's the right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's uh, it comes from uh, the town having a little bit of a Swiss cheese map, and in fact, uh, if you look at the fairgrounds, the majority of the fairgrounds is annexed to the town, has been annexed to the town for decades. But there is a piece of the fairground property that actually is not within the town. It's actually, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually the part that is part of the um, uh, the, the park area. That's They're correct. away from the fairground facilities, kind of more toward the. Well, I think it's one of their uh, where, where they do soccer. Yeah, where, where they've got some of the soccer areas and stuff like that. It's just, and we're, we're not sure why, and it's not it's not it's not been an issue to mm -hmm. to date. And so, and if I'm if I'm on the Scott and Walker property, which is right next door to the Douglas County high school and I call the police, who's going to show up? The sheriff's sure. department will, will, will show up. Um, again, understanding that there's mutual aid. I mean, they, um, we, we, we dispatch for police, but those calls first go to Douglas County dispatch, then they come to us. Um, so, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're obviously looking out for each other. The, right. the, the tradition and the practice has been is that for county facilities, the sheriff's department provides the law enforcement event presence, and we're more than happy to accommodate that because we've got 84,000 other souls that we're taking care of with our our police department when they when they have an event. So that's that's historically been the, the direction. That's how it's okay. that's how it's programmed into the CAD as far as who's going to show up uh, for the county facilities, even if they're within the town. Mm -hmm. So if I rented the, the Douglas County Fairgrounds and I was going to have an event there. I had a contract with them. 
who would show up to go and police that and or if there was a problem who would show up to 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 handle that affair the sheriff deputies would um, if if it was an incident that was still applicable under town law, for example, let's say the the concert went too late, and our noise ordinance applied, mm-hmm. then we would then take that complaint, and then um, a police officer would write up a report and provide it to our municipal prosecutor, and decide whether or not they want to prosecute. The, the holder of the event, for example. Okay. If there was, it, so so that's, that gets back to uh, Mr. Hyman's comment that we have police power over property that is within our corporate boundary limits. Always have. And they apply mm-hmm. the county ordinance? No, they apply the town ordinance because the town ordinance applies everywhere within the town. Mm-hmm. Everywhere within town jurisdictions. The town, I mean, when you read the county um, uh event regulations that council member uh talked about they make reference to our noise ordinance they make reference to our dog ordinance they make reference to our liquor laws because all of those laws apply within the the town boundaries Mm -hmm. that is correct and we and we have we have mechanisms in place for all of that well we have mechanisms in place for those items and then, I mean, you have to take a look at the town code and then decide what are you trying to, to regulate. And as Councilmember Cavey indicated, we have a sexually oriented business licensing program for those businesses. Um, the state has a indecency statute and um, other statutes that our police officers and sheriff deputies can um, uh, can issue citations on or summons on or provide police reports on. We don't have a local ordinance on um, indecency because there's a state law that provides a pro- probably a more significant penalty in those in those situations. That is correct. That's Particularly uh, recently that was uh, the state had uh, amended it so uh, uh, the, the if there's an in, uh, act of public indecency concerning, concerning uh, a child separation of age of course is uh, uh, in the statute uh, then that can be charged as a class six felony in a municipal court I mean you're looking at petty offenses only so it's just not uh, as serious you want to charge things uh, where you can get a a, a greater punishment in cases like that and you're not going to do that in a municipal court you're going to do that in a district court so what I just heard you say is that if we were to put something in place we would then have a lower penalty of whatever we decided to put into place, whatever language we decided, we would want to go with the state higher penalty to be able to prosecute at the highest level, to be able to have the, the most impact, to be able to stop and change behavior. Yeah, Mayor Pretend, yeah, that's a policy judgment. Sure. Because it's, it's, not, it's, it's not only the penalty, it's also will the prosecutor prosecute. Mm-hmm. Um, and who adjudicates, and that's that's a decision for you all to weigh back and forth. It's not just sure. a penalty; it's an issue of do you want to do you want to have a statement on yours in your town code that says certain things. That's a, that's a decision for you all to to weigh as to whether or not you want to have state law parallels or you want to have something that tries to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. That that would be a discussion for you all to hopefully get staff input, but for you all to eventually decide on that. That's, but, that's your decision. And my last question is, we, we, we have state laws that are in place that can be applied to any event that steps outside of the sexual orientated businesses. 
that we would be able to call on and, and point to and be able to access for for a a penalty arrest whatever where you want to call it some kind of action correct well it depends on uh, what occurs what action happens but if you were talking about indecent exposure and public indecency uh, we do have state statutes uh, that uh, make those uh, particular offenses a crime uh, and we would be able to uh, charge those and of course the question is is Dave so aptly pointed out, uh, will the uh, uh, 18th Judicial District uh, take those cases and prosecute them? Uh, and I don't think we've had that issue necessarily here. I've had it in other jurisdictions where certain types of offenses uh, do not get uh, the same attention as they would in a municipal court. But we have a very small municipal court here because I think largely uh, we haven't had that same experience in Castle Rock. Uh, but I would probably defer to uh, our friends in the Castle Rock Police Department because they know more than I about their relationship with uh, the district attorney's office. So, But uh, uh, it's, it's a different dynamic down here. Thank you. Councilmember Dietz. Yeah, I just simply couldn't hurt to have more conversation. Thank you. I guess my other question is um, that we, it seems that we um, have jurisdiction over that, a police jurisdiction, and we share it with the, uh, co the county sheriff's department. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't have jurisdiction over their events. Is that true? No, that's, that's correct. I mean, they're, they're the landlord. I mean, they, similarly to we're the, the landlord at the uh, amphitheater. Um, most of the events that happen at the amphitheater we produce, but occasionally we just serve as the landlord. We rent it mm. to someone that wants to use it for an event. Um, and they have to follow all of our different guidelines and rules and pay us the money and pay for security and pay for the porta potties to get cleaned up and all that other stuff. Um, they're, they're, they're acting as, we're acting as landlord. My understanding is similarly that they act as landlord and rent out uh, portions of the, the fairgrounds for events. And they have um, a contract that's very typical to what we would do, you know, requires insurance, requires certainly has a list of things they can do, a list of prohibited things, um, and, and, and all those other types of things that, that you would expect as a, as a, uh, as, as a venue operator would, would, would have. Yeah, and I might uh, avoid the term jurisdiction there. It's really more of a facilities management question. Who owns a facility? Who has the right to manage their facility? And uh, I think that's probably a, a, a better descriptor. Okay, I appreciate the, the clarification. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, can you reread the, uh, the motion? I already forgot it. Um, that by August 15th, whoops, I apologize. Um, that by August 15th, that we get clarity on the issue to understand who has jurisdiction over the fairgrounds. Is that accurate? And That's accurate, particularly when we're talking about it's within the town boundaries and they are beholden to our town ordinances. Okay, well, thank you. I think one comment, Mayor? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I, I think we kind of flushed out that there there are there are penalties in place at the at the state level that are 
even higher than what we could even apply or put into place. So we'd be putting something into place that would be lesser punitive or lesser penalties than what the state. It's true. The, the town lawyer just, just mentioned it, he talked us through it. So why would we put something into place that would be less than, would we want to charge somebody with less than what we could at the state level? And if we access the, the, the penalty at the state level, they'll get the highest penalty. So we're going to put something in at the lower level that will never be accessed unless we want to start penalizing somebody at a lower level versus the higher level and access the state when they become arrested. Like, the point is, like, why put something in where you're going to slap, slap somebody on the hand or put them in the jail? I don't know that that's what's being discussed in the that's motion. That's not what I'm asking. Right. Right, I, I think that just even though that we had a, uh, a healthy conversation and, and some good questions you know, about the jurisdiction, I would support that if there's still some questions from Councilman, uh, Councilwoman Cavey that uh, were part of the original motion, that if that conversation didn't satisfy you, that the motion would stand and, and I would still support the, the conversation and make sure that you have clarity on it. So I, mean, I appreciate the conversation and everything, but if that didn't do it for you, then I'm still supporting the motion. My, my, point, my point, Max, was that the conversation and the answer came from our town lawyer just a few moments ago. We would put something into place that would not reach the level of the state, of the, of the state's action. And we can't put something in that would be equal or greater right. than. So my what, my why, understanding why of the motion. Why would we put something in place? But my understanding of the motion isn't about putting anything in place. It's simply having a conversation to clarify jurisdiction. That's all. But my questions were answered from, from the town lawyer, right? But her, mine weren't. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? No. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? No. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Tambracken? No. Mayor Gray? No. Motion fails. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember LaFleur, yep. Thank you, Mayor. No comment tonight. Councilmember Brooks? Uh, yeah, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, just a quick shout out and a thank you to uh, the Wellspring community. Uh, I'd had a, a big birthday party, one of those big landmark birthday parties over the weekend. We decided to do a, a Godfather theme. And so I called the, the Wellspring Bakery uh, you know, several days before, gave them some advance notice, and put in a special order for some you know, Italian cookies, some cannoli, those sorts of things. And they were happy to accommodate, and they did a fantastic job. I just want to remind everybody that we have a fantastic uh, partner serving the IDD community. The stars do an amazing job. Uh, and just a, a big shout out and a big thank you to Wellspring. If you have a special event, don't uh, don't be shy in giving them a call. I bet that uh, they'd be happy to help you out. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Uh, Councilmember Dietz. Thank you, Mayor. Council. Um, I'm going to talk about public safety and morals to protect children. With everything going on in the world, the USA, child trafficking, over-sexualization of children, why are we not protecting Castle Rock? This is an easy choice to make. Why would we not want to protect our children, public morals, from those kind of actions that would suit to pervert and pursue children? To what extent and to what end? I am still disappointed 
by Douglas County Commissioners. The lack of courage to protect our children, according to Commissioner Thomas, who is now backtracking her statements, trying to lay responsibility back on Castle Rock Town Council, after Commissioner Thomas claimed that all authority came from them. No one is willing to do the right thing here because it's too hot. The right thing is to not allow sexual perverse shows to be held on taxpayer property. You all pay for that. If something goes wrong, and goes wrong, Castle Rock will still get its share of the libel and blame along with Douglas County. I offer to change code and ordinance to protect our community and our children. Why is evil continuously coming after our children, whether through sexual confusion, grooming, drugs, with the over-legalization of every vice? So why should we wait? Why not now simply enact an ordinance that would uniformly protect Castle Rock's community? I encourage us to legislate in righteousness rather than in risk. For good people to stand by and do nothing only brings shame and apathy. We all know apathy when it, it usually, you're, it's too late. So we act now either by town council or by Douglas County commissioners who as far as I'm concerned by their own doing of nothing is putting Castle Rock at risk. I'm introducing the motion and I have copies for all the council members. You all have seen Title IX, it's a rough draft. I'm offering a motion for simple discussion and direction. On the August 15th, town council that we talk about public peace, morals and welfare, Title IX. So I motion for that to be put on the August 15th agenda for discussion and direction. Second. I have a first by uh, Councilmember Jeets, a second by Councilmember Cavey. <laughs> Further discussion? Max Brooks. Uh, okay, so thank you. I uh, appreciate the, the motion. I believe that um, my personal opinion on this is while I appreciate the, um, the meaning, the motive, 100% on the same page. I believe that perhaps the discussion, if I had my own uh, preference, it would have happened at a different time and under different circumstances, so there would be no confusion. There would be no thought about how this is tied, has any anything to do whatsoever with a specific event, with a specific group of people, because it's bigger than that. I'm sorry for everybody in the room that is here, possibly for that issue, it's more important than that. Um, and I believe that by discussing it now, it becomes very, very difficult for people, members of council, to be able to separate that overarching discussion from what we're looking at right now. And I believe that it's very important to try to separate those. I had sent a, an article earlier in the week to town staff about an event that occurred in Wisconsin. It was World Naked Bike Ride. A lot of naked people riding around in town on bicycles, naked. Amongst that group was a naked 10-year-old girl. Oh. 
there are issues beyond this event that we need to be looking at. We need to try to do the best we can as possible. And I implore members of council, when it comes time to vote, be looking at the larger issues and don't think that this has anything specifically to do with one event. It's bigger than that. It's difficult sometimes when it's, when it's tied to either a personality or a particular issue. And I would just ask us to take a, a higher level approach. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tim Bracken. Thank you, Mayor. So um, I'm, not, I'm not sure Title IX is the right reference for this, for this motion. Um, so I, I wrestled in college. I wrestled on the Olympic team. My wrestling program was eliminated my senior year in college due to Title IX. I literally went state to state and talked against Title IX. And what Title IX states is, is gender equality and being able to level set. They decimated wrestling programs around the country, decimated them based on the Title IX rule in the law. And they actually removed my wrestling program for me my senior year based on Title IX because you had to have an equal amount of women and an equal amount of men in their sports program. It didn't matter that they had 100 football players. It didn't matter that they only had 20 softball players and on and on, right? So they just split it right down the middle. This is a, it's a, it's a flawed concept and idea. And in itself, I literally went to the state Supreme Court in Illinois and talked against the Title IX concept and the Title IX idea because it was unfair and equal to men. Now, as it relates to the subject for today on this issue, I'm not sure standing behind Title IX and gender equality is, 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 is the right platform. And I would like to defer to our town lawyer about standing behind a motion that submits Title IX as a reference. David and then Ryan. Yeah, um, Mayor Pro Tem, the, the Title IX that uh, Councilmember Dietz is referring to is in the town code. For town, the, the Title IX that I think you're referring to has to do with the Federal Civil Rights Act um, that um, is Which enforced is the, same the federal government. Matter for sure. It's 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 the, our Title IX, and we we break down our 25 uh, provisions in our town code by titles, and then they're further broken down by chapters. So, for example, Title VIII is health and safety. Title IX is public peace, morals, and welfare. Okay. It sets out all the different offenses um, against public peace, uh, theft, um, shoplifting, um, assault, um, possession of alcohol. I mentioned the noise control, curfew of minors. That's our Title IX in our town code. It's my understanding that Councilmember Dietz is referring to that and not to the federal government. Title. That is correct, and I did not mean to confuse anybody. So this, this, this was sent via email, Councilmember Dietz, to, to me and, and the rest of council? Should have gotten it. Just, but here's the thing is you're I, I getting it now it. It and we're it. discussion and direction for the future. That's it. Okay. So thank you. So the federal Title IX is a clarification versus our state. Yeah, the, and yeah, my, right yeah and this has got right nothing to do with that. that federal Title IX. That's my understanding. Is that correct, Tim? Correct. Yes. Yeah. 
Brian. You, and you are correct, Councilmember Brian. So, Member that, so, so about point of that. clarification, Mayor, okay. on, on protocol. When things are introduced during public comment, or excuse me, during council comments, and referencing things that have been sent to town council for our review, and they have not, my confusion is very simple. When the first time I see a form that says Title IX is referring to a town code and not the federal, the, the federal statute, it's very confusing and it's frustrating and it's happened again. Thank you, Mayor. Brian Hollinshead. Uh, yeah, I mean, Councilmember Dietz, I, I appreciate your passion on this subject, but I also, I don't know what you want to do exactly because you, you don't give us enough heads up for it. I, I just, I'd appreciate more dialogue, but that's for another day. I mean, guys, no one in this room wants kids exposed to genitals. To, 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 no one wants that, right? In Colorado, it is illegal to have indecent exposure, right? We, we all know, we just discussed that. That's clear. If I walk out of here tonight, walk down the street naked, I'm getting, I'm getting cited for that, right? So, so that's what should happen at the fairgrounds with the current policies already in place and the current laws in place. If another bad individual does this, that, that was not what was promoted last year. That, that was not the, the theme wasn't advertised. We're going to have kids exposed, but it happened, right? And we've all worked with some, we all have family members who've made bad choices or embarrassed our family. We all work with people who have done bad things, right? We, we've, and, and we address it and then we, we do right the next time and we do better. And that's what has happened in this community is this event has been addressed in the public, in the kind of, I mean, th this, this group is on notice. They know that. They, they are not going to bring out 20 naked people at this event. And if they do, because of everyone's voices, which I think is what we hope, they'll be cited. It won't happen. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they won't be uh, welcome back, right? That's what we all want to happen. And, and the wheels are in place and the mechanisms are in place and the laws are in place. And so I don't know why it's such a a big deal for Castle Rock to all of a sudden take over this event and create some new law that would supersede state level indecent exposure. I, I just don't know why we keep going on this. We all want the same thing. We don't want our kids to be exposed to this. Right? Now, if we're going further to say we don't want a drag show, well, that's where we're going to get into constitutional rights and we're going to go down that road. And it's, I mean, where is the line? Right? We have freedoms in America. The line is, we don't know where the line is, right? Always. And sometimes the courts have to decide that for us. But if we don't have any decent exposure, I, I'm not concerned about this. And so I'm going to continue to vote no on these things because I think we're spinning our wheels. We have an event and we've told people to do the right thing and I'm going to trust them to do the right thing. And if they don't, I assume they're going to be done. So I'm going to continue to vote no on these things. Councilmember Brooks. Uh, unless my math is even worse than the remedial course I took in college, um, I'm pretty sure that anything... First of all, we're talking about discussion only first, right? We're just trying to discuss. And I think discussion is healthy. That's all, that's all my understanding of the motion is for discussion. And I believe that all these opinions, maybe it's executive session. I don't know how that, how that discussion occurs, but I believe that it's a, it's a discussion that needs to happen. Back to the math, if we bring something on August 15th, irrespective of what we were to introduce, and even if we unanimously approved it, that makes no impact whatsoever on an event at the end of August. We all know how the calendar of these things works. It's got to go through. It's got to be, uh, you know, put on the put on agenda for voting as an ordinance, and then 30 days after the fact. This has nothing to do 
with the fairgrounds. And again, I just want to make sure that we understand that because there's nothing that we can do right now through code about the fairgrounds. I just want to look a little further down the road and have a discussion about it. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yeah, so, so just to level set with the folks that are in, in, in the crowd, I, I've seen the videos from, from the fairgrounds event and they're, they're appalling. And they're, and they're absolutely outrageously not okay for me personally. And they, sh they, 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 they should have they gotten action taken against them. And, and it's up to the county again and all that. Like, like I'm, I'm personally against all of that. But there's, there's also laws in place that are already in place. We've, we've already heard the, the discussion. We went through the, went through the whole item and we, and we talked through it about federal and state laws that are in place for all of this already. We are, we are basically recycling the same information and we're wasting our town's time on this issue because there's things that are already in place that can be applied if they step out of bounds. And if I walk down the street and I don't step off the curb and, and cause an infraction, should I be arrested? I shouldn't be arrested, right? Nothing's happened. The event hasn't happened. I'm assuring you, and we've heard it from our town lawyer, that things are in place to handle it if things get out of bounds, if they step out of line. It's already been handled. And we continuously, sitting up here, we continuously get blindsided by Title IX issues that we didn't, get to, we didn't get to review, I just got it now. Title IX issues and references, I never got an email on it. I check my email before every meeting and I check my email daily. I never got an email on it about what this discussion is gonna be and then a motion follows it. It's all being blindsided by an issue by a council member that wants to go get claps at a meeting when he knows that the federal and state laws are more punitive, they're more actionable. Stop shaking your heads out there because it's true. We just heard it from the town lawyer and you're not listening to the issues on it. If they step on a line, they're going to be arrested. They're going to be per per prosecuted and that's the fact of it, period. We're wasting our time. No, thank you. No, thank you. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to tell you what I'm listening to. And these motions that keep coming are, are an ambush by, by Council Member Dietz. I'm just letting you know that. Any further discussion? Not now. Thank you. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. No. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. No. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Pretem Bracken. No. Mayor Gray. No. Motion fails. Thank you. Moving on to Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Thank you, Mayor. I think we've had enough council comments for tonight. Thank you. Um, now we have the appointment for board adjustment uh, due to recent vacancies and resignation of the board of adjustment has an open vacancy. The interview panel uh, interviewed the candidates and unanimously, unanimously recommended an appointment of Eric Edwards at the board of, board of adjustment for a partial term ending May, 20, May 31st, 2024. I'll set the motion. Move to approve appointee. Second. I have a first by Councilmember LaFleur, second by Councilmember Dietz. Any further discussion? Just Max Brooks? Quick point of clarification, Eric Richards. 
Eric Richards, sorry. Yes, sir. Thank you. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Deep? Yes. Mayor Pretend Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. We won't move on to unscheduled public appearances. This time is reserved for members of the public to make a presentation to council on items or issues that are not scheduled on the agenda. As a general practice, the council will not discuss or debate these items, nor will council make any decisions on these items presented during this time. Rather, we will refer to uh, town staff for follow-up. Comments are limited to three minutes per, per speaker and limited 30 minutes total. Residents will be given uh, priority in the order they signed up, followed by non-residents, and then representing ca Town of Castle Rock businesses, and then non-residents, and then businesses outside of Town of Castle Rock, as time permits. Council is also ac accepting public comments submitted written online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be included in the record. I have a, a handful who are signed up to speak. When I call your name, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Honor users may use a raise your hand feature. And phone in callers can press, press star three. And please state your name, whether you're a resident or non-resident or business owner. You have three minutes to speak. Uh, first, I have Matt uh, Boatwright, but it says he's here to speak on number 10 on the agenda. And number 10 is on the consent calendar. Sorry? 18, I'm sorry. We will skip Matt for now and move on to Amy Winger. Hi, good evening. Uh, my name is Amy and I would like to speak on a few issues this evening. Um, Castle Rock Pride of uh, Code of Conduct for Attendees to the Douglas County Pride states that there are to be no guns. Very interesting because we're discussing municipal codes and all that. In speaking with the Sheriff's Office as well as the county regarding the fairgrounds, it was confirmed today that the Douglas County Fairgrounds is open carry and that the organizers of events are not permitted to deny Coloradans the right to open carry at events on the fairgrounds. During last year's Pride Festival, adult entertainment occurred on Castle Rock taxpayer-funded fair, uh, fairgrounds in front of kids and teens. There were R-rated lyrics, breasts and nipples exposed, all of this inappropriate in front of children. We've already discussed what Colorado obscenity law. The town of Castle Rock's sexually oriented business municipal code is pretty clear about what is considered a sexually oriented business. But the town lacks either indecency or lewd municipal codes for the general public. Neighboring Lone Tree does have public indecency in its municipal code. And it states that it's unlawful for any person in a public space to expose any intimate part of the body. Neighboring Parker has public indecency as well as part of its ordinance, which includes fondling genitals, which occurred last year, by the way, or appearing in a state of nudity, which occurred last year. Parker also has, as part of its municipal code, indecent exposure, which it states is when a person knowingly exposes his or her genitals in front of another person. 
this is important, I would like to recommend that the town of Castle Rock look into the town of Lone Tree and the town of Parker municipal ordinances. I would also like to address Kevin Bracken's statements tonight about wanting to give the state more control and authority over municipal code in the town of Castle Rock. The town of Castle Rock, if I understand correctly, and I am in no way a lawyer, is a home rule state, a home rule town. Home rule. We are very lucky to live in a state which allows local control. This is important because I don't even know why we're questioning why we want to hand over to the state more power about municipal ordinances. I think this is something for each and every one of us to think. I think if there's an opportunity to arrest somebody locally and handle that locally, we absolutely should consider that. So thank you all very much and have a good evening. Thank you, Amy. Next I have, is it Dan Stark? Don, sorry. Don Stork, yeah, okay. Looks like an A. Are we on here? Okay, thank you, uh, town, town Council, for the opportunity to address you. Uh, please don't be naive, Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. The state may have laws, but they can choose to not enforce them. Um, so don't be naive. Castle Rock has to stand for something. Either you stand for something, or, or it, by abstinence, by choosing not to, then you're condoning behavior. I'm with uh, Mr. Brooks. Let's, let's talk about the bigger picture. I'm not necessarily concerned with the fairgrounds. I'll, I am, but I'm more concerned with setting some standards for Castle Rock. I don't care what else is going on in the world. Castle Rock and you guys represent us. And you know what? I agree with Tim. I agree with a lot of you guys. Katie and Ms. Kavney, we got to stand for something. You guys are missing the, the trees for the forest. And you guys know who I'm talking about. You guys are, are abdicating your responsibility. You guys, if you don't have kids or grandkids, when you do, you will, you will think twice. You know, the laws of God are written on people's hearts. You can choose to ignore it, but I'm telling you, have you guys seen this movie, The Sound of Freedom? You think that's a bunch of ho, ho hockey? There's stuff going on in this world that we need to make a stand against it. And I'm asking each one of you, when you guys go to bed at night, what do you think about? You think you're gonna live forever? You're gonna meet your maker and he's gonna ask you what you did or didn't do. And by not doing something to protect our kids, you're putting yourself in jeopardy. I'm not the person saying this, this is what he says. We say in God we trust, do we? But we need to do our part. It's one thing to know evil. It's another thing to do something about it. I'm asking you guys, think about other people. You say you're getting tired of talking about this. I see passion in her, in him. I see passion in her. Where is your passion to protect the kids? I, I just don't know what else to tell you guys. If you guys aren't emotionally, passionately involved in this, then what are you doing here? Do you not care about Castle Rock? Really? You guys are more politically correct? Who cares about what's politically correct? What's in your heart? You guys know it. Thank you, Don. Moving on to uh, Janet, but uh, I can't pronounce her last name. Janet Zope starts with a Z. <laughs>
Can you hear me? <laughs> it takes a village to raise a child. A community is an extension of the family to help support the family, provide, protect, serve, and guide its citizens toward truth, what's right, and to be a productive citizen. But how do we know what's true or right? Is it what I believe, what you believe, or someone down the street believes? Long ago, people measured things in feet. I mean, we still do today. But whose feet did they use to make that measurement? My feet are not the same as my husband's or yours or anyone else's. So how did they measure things in a consensus? They had to come up with a standard that would be used by all. The standard foot was established by the king's foot. Thus, the ruler, which you all know, is 12 inches, and it's our standard measurement. So they had to have a standard to measure things by. When the pilgrims came to America, they held the Bible as the standard of what was true, what was right, and wrong. However, they also knew that people usually want their own way and were sinful. So before they stepped off the ship, they made a set of rules or laws, the Mayflower Compact, that everyone agreed to follow to establish a cohesive, working, happy, and successful community. They elected leaders to hold everyone accountable to those standards. The Bible has been the standard used in our society for almost 250 years, and I think it served us well. We became one of the greatest nations on earth. As an educator for more than 40 years, I am entrusted by families to help their children reach their highest levels of learning in the time that I have them. I am there to help and support the family, not take over. I help them by getting to know their children and their needs and by providing a caring, safe, enjoyable, and challenging learning environment so they can grow and learn as much as possible. At the start of each school year, we establish rules for our classroom that will help us all learn, feel safe, respected, and able to try new things. And I hold those students accountable to these standards. I cannot allow the loudest students, those who bully, or those with wealthy parents to dictate how the classroom will be run. Thank you, Janet. That's it? Oh, I have more to say. But anyway, I, I just challenge you guys to raise the town and the county to a higher standard, one that will protect and provide for all of our citizens, especially our children, and not allow these events, and if they have to be allowed to put age restrictions on them, we Thank have you, Janet. restrictions on everything else. So why should this be any different? Next I have, next I have Brooke Bernstein. I'll adjust, can you hear me? Pardon me, oh, okay, is it okay? Red button. Red button's on. Thank you, it seems to be a little kludgy today. Um, thank you for letting me speak today. I think there's a conceptual problem here, forgetting about jurisdiction, forgetting about everybody, everything else. It's what people are assuming a drag show is. Um, everybody is assuming that drag shows are pornographic, that it's going to always have indecent exposure, that it's sexual content, that it's perverse. That is not the case, just like all dance is not sexually explicit. You could have somebody doing striptease, uphold dancing. We don't want our kids going to see shows like that, but ballet or, or jazz is perfectly fine. So let's define and think about what is going to happen at this event. It is not perverse sexual activity. It's, it's somebody dressing up. Um, 
and, and what if somebody does that at the at the county fair? Um, you know, if if I dress up, I could very well be non-binary. Don't know. Um, if I'm dressing up as Dolly Parton and dancing, is that drag? Is that something inappropriate? If you know, basically what everybody is making this assumption that the the event that happened last year, which was unfortunate, that the whole idea behind this is to have people dress up, strip, and and engage in sexual activity or sexually explicit behavior, and that's just not the case. Um, and so I, I just think people need to step back and think about that they're, they're fighting something that actually isn't going to happen. It has, it's not the intent, it, it's not, it, it's, it, it's not what it's about. Dra all drag is not pornographic. Most drag is not pornographic. Um, and so can, can people just step back and think about what it is that, that is happening, what, what is going to happen, what it is an event, and choose to go or not go. Every parent has a right to make that choice. So you know, those in the audience, those that keep bringing this up, those that are on social media presenting this event as if there's going to be striptease and people putting dollar bills in people's pants, that's not what the intent is. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you. Jay Quibling. All right, can you hear me? Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. I'm here for a simple reason, to request that the town of Castle Rock introduce an ordinance to prohibit sexually explicit activity from taking place publicly in our residential areas, including the fairgrounds. In light of the fact that our job as adults is to protect our children, not groom them, the decisions we make here very literally are going to influence future generations. Last year, there were videos that were circulating, we've all talked about it, with nudity in a family-friendly section uh, where children were present. To me, it seems like a no-brainer to introduce a new ordinance to not allow sexually explicit content into our town. I can't possibly think of a reason why a child would need to see the things that they saw last year. And um, to you, Councilman, to say that nobody wants to expose their genitals to children shows me one of two things. You've buried your head in the sand, or you don't care. You don't have to look very far on the internet to find a plethora of adults in this nation showing their genitals to children. The only reason that I can think of that this group wouldn't move forward expediently on this ordinance is because of prior threats for legal action or discrimination under Colorado law. It would be painted as something that it's not. I don't think we can put fear in front of our need to protect our community. Today, I'd ask you to consider an alternate scenario. Last year could be considered negligent. Our town allowed an event that exposed children to explicit, sexually explicit shows. Very unfortunate, some could have predicted it. With that knowledge that we have now, if we don't introduce this ordinance and children are inevitably exposed again to sexual dances, this year, how could that not be considered gross negligence? I would think the town and its constituents would be liable for that. And in closing, I'd just like to state that if you look through history, 
history has never looked kindly on adults that don't defend the defenseless. Thanks. Thank you, Jay. Casey Neal. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, council members. My name is Casey Neal. I do not live within the formal boundaries of Castle Rock, but I consider it my home for almost a quarter century. My husband and I own a business here, and I love it here. Um, I, I'm here tonight to implore you to step aside and step away from this whole pride fest imbroglio. Should you take on some of the things that have been discussed tonight, uh, you might face, you probably most likely face, a legal liability that your own legal counsel has told you you are unlikely to win. You also put into jeopardy your relationship with your partners over at the county who have already done the heavy lifting to make sure that something like fake boob gate does not happen again, as unfortunate as that was. And last but not least, every one of you were elected to serve all of the residents of Castle Rock. And I have to tell you, the LGBTQ community here is alive, it's well, it's growing every single day in every single district. It is your responsibility to treat everyone, it's all of our responsibilities, to treat everyone with dignity and respect. And they are no different than anybody else. Marginalizing and demonizing one group of people to make another group of people feel better about themselves is never good governance. A couple weeks ago, hairball came. They were at the amphitheater. Kids of all ages attending that concert, and they watched grown men in high heels and skin-tight leather pants that left nothing to the imagination real live nipples, hair, wigs, strut around the stage for a couple of hours. And I have not seen anyone lose their lunch over that. This is duplicitous, it's disingenuous, and it had, should have no oxygen here. A few years ago, I got pulled up in a imbroglio with open carry, and I lost that fight. And I was told that I was being uh, outrageous and that I needed to, to get my act together and that I need to calm down because uh, my fear and my lack of understanding should not, regard, not result in, in governmental intervention. And yet some of those very same people who told me that, let me say this one more time, I apologize. Thank you, Casey. Demeaning marginalizing and demonizing one group of people to make another group of people feel better about themselves has never been, will never be, and is not good governance. I trust you will all do the right thing Thank you, for Casey. all the residents in town. Thank you for your time. Next I have John Anderson.
Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Council. <clears throat> I just want to touch on one thing I know you don't want to hear again, but it's jurisdiction. And I'm going to give you an example of some problems that you may run into someday. Meaning in law enforcement for over 40 years, I can give you exact examples. And I think Mr. Heyman can back me up on something here. The, problem, the deal with jurisdiction is, is that we know it's in the town of Castle Rock. You know that you have to have law enforcement there, as you know you have to okay liquor licenses, planning, zoning, and everything else. You know this. The problem, if you don't have a law in place to back up your law enforcement, if there is an event up there that happened, you become liable. And I'm going to give you a perfect example. A couple of years ago, the county wanted to have manage a big party up there after a, a rodeo event. This rodeo event went to the event center. There was a huge fight. Liquor was allowed, approved, and it was there. This huge fight evolved, involved many police agencies to come in to break it up. Fortunately, by the act of God, nobody was hurt or killed. But I'm going to tell you this. The county sheriff, commander at that time, under Spurlock, called up your city and accused them, you, of not doing your job and preventing this fight. You getting the point where this would go if somebody got hurt or killed up there or stabbed? You, and I think Mr. Hame can back me up, if you go to court, you know what the attorneys are going to ask the town of Castle Rock? You knew or should have known the liability that occurred, but you were negligent in protecting the town of Castle Rock and what happened to my client's child or brother or sister. That will happen. And if you asked if you knew or should have known, what are you going to say in this case about child abuse? And when I say abuse, I'm talking about this drag queen stuff that can lead to different things. Let me ask you this. If you were, or would you approve of a man raiding his wife's panties, taking his sister's panties or her bra or whatever, and going down here and, pro and providing an entertainment show for kids to take money wearing this kind of outfit, would that be approved by you? Would you allow your child to go w w watch this man entertain people like this? Would you? I would hope not. Well, this is what you're saying by not putting an age limit on protecting children. I think it's disgusting. And I'll give you an example. You might be saying, well, this is okay. Well, let me ask you this. If a circus came to town and you had good, honest clowns there who dress up with the same paint, same activities, and you, you sent your children to the circus, which we all wanted to do, which is okay, right? But down in tent number three, hey, there are women wearing women's panties and bras and going to give you some entertainment and your kids can put money in their clothes. Would you allow that? I guarantee you'd be calling the Castle Rock Police Department saying these people need to be investigated for child abuse. You know why? Because if you don't, you're going to be held liable if something happens to these children. Guarantee it. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Charcy Russell. Thank you very much. It appears to me that our, our comments are somewhat irrelevant. If I understand correctly, you've decided not to discuss this any further. I just can only bring up what people have already said uh, one more time, but I, I don't know where it will get us. This issue won't go away, I don't believe. Because even if the county is somehow 
effective in controlling the behavior uh, in August. We haven't even talked about public places. We haven't really talked about sexual behavior in front of kids. Sounds to me like liability really will fall on you should something occur. Were I in your shoes, that would really worry me. You're accountable to the people you represent. And a lot of people have been here saying they're really concerned about children. I don't understand this. I think John just said that how can you enforce what is in the law? I know you think you can have this, apparently have the state inter become involved, but they sure weren't the last two times. Nothing happened. Why do you have confidence that this will be different? There's going to be scheduled a cabaret for adults, and yet I think there's something that says no cabaret. But it appears that there will be. Does that indicate anything to any of you? Have you examined what Lone Tree and Parker have done and thought and worked through? How can you throw this away without doing that kind of investigation, without having a discussion? I don't think from what I'm hearing, seeing the evidence that you all have received that you can pass the buck on this. It's a really serious matter. We just don't want sexualized behavior in front of children in public places in this town. Seems to me like a good idea. I guess that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Charcy. I'm not sure how to pronounce the next one. It looks like Evelyn. Thank you. Um, I want to address um, jurisdiction uh, between local government agencies using uh, the federal and state statutes known, known as coordination. The coordination statutes create a process through which local government, uh, government A, has equal position in negotiating at the negotiating table with the other local government B and or, and or all of the other agencies, whether they're local, state, or federal. So you have full authority and you are not inferior to the county or to the state. It is a government to government basis. There is no government agency that is superior in authority over the others. The, the implicit in this mandate of coordination is the duty of governmental representatives to work together in an effective relationship, seek and reach agreement on consistency between these governing agencies on land use, on jurisdictions, and policies that are implemented. Now I'm going to quote from the book. 
When local government represents its constituents' positions, that's us, through coordination, the agencies have much broader duties. The agencies have to listen to local input. They got to analyze the local position to determine whether there is conflict between the proposed agency's action and the local plan or policy, and they must use good faith effort to resolve any of these existing conflicts so that they achieve consistency between the plans, the policies, the actions, and the local people. Uh, you have the authority to make decisions, and uh, the county does not have uh, super authority over you, neither does the state, neither does the federal. You are absolutely equal according to the state and, uh, and federal, excuse me, mandates or um, statutes. So we ask you to exercise your authority and uh, make decisions, don't pass it on to uh, another responsibility. Thank you. Thank you, Ellen. Randy Mills. Excuse me. I'm concerned. You're that not, once you're not again, signed up. I'm sorry. I know. You're not signed up. Councilman Deese has packed. I am absolutely he has sorry. Packed you the didn't. public comments, not leaving room for other people's Officer opinions. And I want to bring up that no, more children no, are no, molested no, in church than at drag shows. Goodbye. Thank you. Gandhi said. Thank you, officer. Stay away from my kids. Yeah. Randy Mills. Your kids are going to grow up sheltered and mean. Just like <laughs> Thank you, officer. Open, loving. Randy. Honorable Mayor, distinguished council members, it's incredulous that you would not carry forward a motion to discuss what has been presented in front of you for weeks. I want to make it clear that the proposed ordinance is not about attacking an individual, a group, or a class. You all know it. You all know it because you have it. It's simply this. The petition is to discuss how we protect for our children here in Castle Rock in all of the public areas as Councilman Brooks pointed out. It's a bigger issue in all of the public areas so that Prurient and sexual behavior and actions do not occur in our streets or in our parks. It happens to be today, it's down at the fairgrounds. There's a big difference between intentions and historical actions. What we have to act on is the actions that we have seen. You've all seen them. You've seen the videos. You've attested to it. So have the commissioners. In 2019, in 2019, there were sexual and prurient behaviors, and there were kids handing off dollars to performers or actors 
And what was the response by the, by the commissioners? Yes, you're right, staff. It is their responsibility to, to enforce their contract so that those things don't happen. You know what they suggested? Let's put a tip jar out. Seriously? 2022. It's already been a caution, but it gets worse. It gets worse, so now we've got nudity introduced. Oh, they talking about the incident, right? Well, let me show you what the incident is. This is the incident right here, right there. You see family-friendly, exposed areola, Douglas County Pride Fest at the Midway Station. Children are there. Dozens of children are there. Second incident, same thing. Here's the twerking that's going on in front of children. Faces are blurred out. Listen, all we're asking, all we're asking right now is for you to take a review of an, a proposed draft of an ordinance that says simply this. Protect our children in public areas in Douglas County, in ta the town of Castle Rock, excuse me, from prurient and sexual behaviors. That's it. Ordinance language of where the responsibility lies has been cleared up tonight. It's, a broke, it's right up there on the dais. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. That is all, all we have signed up for tonight. We will now move on to the town manager's report. Mayor and Council, have got uh, several items I wanted to brief you on the this evening. Um, as you know, you have approved the contract for a new park off of Emerald Drive um, adjacent to the Plum Creek Golf Course. We're gonna start a naming process for that new park. Um, publicize it, social media, mention it at uh, open houses, those kinds of things, so that we can solicit suggestions um, and then staff will review them and then town council will then have that back as a future agenda item. So uh, Kristen and Jeff have got a memo in your packet that outlines that process and we'll uh, uh, proceed with, um, uh, with that process. Um, I'll go ahead and I'll do this and then I'll do the second quarter report. Is that okay? Yeah, okay. So um, here on the in, the in the manager's report, I uh, wanted to, to point out that we've got um, the the May uh, sales tax, and um, for the first time in, in, in uh, some time, our sales tax collections were down compared to the previous month uh, from the previous year. 2022, we had a robust sales tax collection, so it's probably wishful that at this time with the slowing economy that um, we would be um, having substantial um, uh, increases as well. We're still almost 3%. Um, above our sales tax collections year to date, but we've got a concern that we may not be meeting um, our budgeted sales tax. Keep in mind the budget for sales tax provides that 75% goes to our general fund, 20% to our transportation fund, and 5% to our community center fund. So what we're doing is we're looking at some expenditures that we can defer or continue uh, for some time that don't impact levels of service. We're continuing to hire um, uh, I think Jack indicated we may be down one in our police department, but he's starting the recruitment process again. 
in in, in the police department. We're uh, working through an academy um, uh, in the fire department. So we know your priorities. We're making sure that those are attended to with the resources that we have, but we do have an opportunity to maybe sit on some um, expenditures to continue to um, have, a, have a balanced budget. So I um, just wanted to point out that uh, the sales tax is not performing as we had budgeted. It slowed down a little bit. Uh, one month is not a trend, but we've looked at it here for a couple of months and it seems to be, seems to be slowing down. So we've got to pay attention to that. It's going to impact um, this year's budget a little bit. Also going to impact our recommendations for 2024. You all know, and hopefully the public knows, our great reliance on sales tax. We get about $1.4 million in town property taxes. The average home in Castle Rock pays about $40 per year in property taxes. We need about $76 million in sales tax this year. So we greatly rely upon sales tax in order to uh, run our uh, general operations. So um, we're going to continue to, to watch that. Um, just a few calendar items before I go back over the second quarter report. Um, mentioned Plum Creek uh, 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 North Park. We're going to again change the name if that's your desire. We've got the groundbreaking event there on August the 2nd. Um, I think Councilmember Deitch, Mayor, you've got that on your schedule, so um, we'll be excited uh, to get that going. The night before, we do not have a council meeting on August the 1st. That's when we participate in National Night Out, which, where we show our appreciation to our uh, police department, and we're um, excited about that. August 15th is our only meeting in August. Uh, then the night after that, we have the State of the Town event at the Cantrell uh, school site, and then we are off into open house season. You see the open house on the budget. Got an open house on some proposed improvements um, and rehabilitation work at Centennial Park. Then we've got Councilmember Brooks open house on August the 29th, and then followed by uh, into September where we've got Councilmember Lafleur's on the 20th, Councilmember Dietz on the 26th, uh, districts one and three for Councilmembers Hollingshead and Bracken on the 24th and then Council Member Cavey on August the 30th. And then we follow up on some of our um, events there in, in November where we've got a, uh, a board and commission appreciation event on November the 14th. Got uh, a neighborhood meeting for the Costco site development plan here um, later uh, this month. And then we've got just a number of other events that are still going on. Um, including uh, Councilmember Cavey was already talking about the, the cattle drive here on July the 28th. That's followed by the, uh, the fair parade that uh, Saturday morning on the 29th, which is followed by the Boots and Brews um, in Festival Park um, after the uh, fair parade. So a lot, of, a lot of fun things going on in the community. Now we're going to switch over to the, the second quarter report Appreciate Kristen's work and all of the department heads in uh, putting this uh, together. I just wanted to spend just a just a few minutes. I know we've got a got a healthy agenda, but wanted to walk through uh, some of the items that we continue to uh, to work on. One of your top priorities is ensuring outstanding public safety. Um, we've filled the the new positions uh, in this year's uh, budget. We continue to um, upgrade our in-car cameras. Uh, Chief Colley was briefing me on some 
some work where uh, cameras are going to be able to uh, um, be directly tied in. The, the in-car camera is going to be directly tied into our, our flock system so that they'll be able to detect um, uh, vehicles that are, are stolen and have those uh, license plates that have already been entered. So we're excited about that. The Master Patrol Officer Program and Shift Inferential, again, additional pay um, was implemented into our police department um, this year. Uh, similarly, in our fire department, we've, um, we've added uh, positions and then continuing to uh, uh, go through the academy for additional positions in, in the fire department and then um, uh, funding uh, stipends, uh, which was an important um, item for the, some of the specialty certifications in the fire department. So we've uh, proceeded with implementing uh, your 2023 budget in regards to the, uh, our public safety departments. Community character, we're familiar with the fact that we've got the Cantrell School. Uh, we're painting classrooms, we're doing design work to do some improvements so that that's all gonna be available for uh, community use. Again, what we're trying to remind the public is that that's gonna be a long-term rehabilitation because of the, the cost involved, but it'll be exciting over the years to see improvements on, on that site. We finished the parking lot at the Metzler Family Open Space. Um, and uh, see, see great visitation at that location as well. And we love the new signage that uh, Jeff had installed there. Um, continuing on community character, we're continuing to look at opportunities for open space and briefed council members on that, continuing to, to look for those opportunities because we know that that was a high mark in the, um, the citizen survey. And we're continuing to support economic development. Last council meeting, you all approved a temporary loan to help for that small event center there north of La Loma. And we're continuing to look for opportunities to, to smartly grow our, our local economy. Again, these are all these um, are key priorities that you've indicated you want us to continue to pursue and it's reflected in your budget. Uh, you all have approved the first construction package on Crystal Valley. Um, Parkway I-25 interchange. We continue to work with CDOT to get the necessary approvals. Um, we're contacting our federal legislators so that some of these things can move at a more expeditious pace. We still hope to get that under construction uh, very soon. You all are familiar, particularly if you've been on the east side of town uh, with the, the PMP program. Apologize for the inconvenience. Don't apologize for fixing things. We're making good progress. The wet weather has not been kind toward road projects. Um, you can't pave water. So uh, we gotta let things dry out, uh, but we're, uh, we're, we're on it and uh, we're, we're having, a, having a good week as far as making some progress on a lot of those projects. You're familiar with the work on Plum Creek and Ridge Roads. You're gonna be talking later this evening about um, the, um, the plans for uh, Four Corners. Uh, that uh, uh, we are uh, excited to get that project underway as well. Uh, the roundabout and our nearby roundabout inspector reports good progress at Crystal Valley Parkway and Plum Creek Boulevard. Um, hope to have that finished this year. Again, the wet weather, wet weather was not helpful. Um, and we're uh, still working on filling a position uh, on, on uh, signs and marking um, in, in our public works department. So. Uh, continued great work on, on enhancing our roads, which is a top priority. Um, our water future um, continues to remain a, a top priority. 
Uh, we should not be uh, uh, fooled by the fact we've had a moist spring and summer. We need to be wise in regards to our water use and we're um, uh, continuing to implement the, the new landscape requirements. Um, and uh, that's gone, uh, I think, reasonably well is what Mark and others would, would indicate as far as implementing that um, in regards to the requirements uh, for, uh, for landscaping. Um, the, as you know from, from Mark's briefings that um, we're not getting as much revenue because we're not getting as much irrigation. So the, the good news is we're conserving water. Uh, the challenge is we're not getting some of the revenue that we would otherwise be putting towards some capital projects, but we're uh, proceeding with the capital projects that you all have, uh, have authorized, and this has got a good, good list of those. Um, we're also planning on adding on to our water purification uh, facility, um, and we've got a design contract that um, is, is underway to, to do that. We've started construction on reservoir number two up by, uh, up by Sedalia. You'll be seeing here um, on a future agenda uh, some requests to help us with some of the land acquisition uh, for the pipeline between the wastewater plant and Reuter Hess that we want to get uh, design finished in right away and uh, easements acquired. So you'll be seeing that on a future agenda as well. Metering infrastructure, report on, back on that is that it's, it's working well. We've got a, a water and sewer rehab project um, underway and uh, some more work on an upgrading a, a water treatment plant. And here you see um, some stormwater projects that are continuing to, uh, to proceed. We've very much appreciated um, our stormwater utility here over the past few weeks when it, uh, when it rained hard and systems operated really well. And finally, in parks and recreation, um, Butterfield Park renovations were, um, uh, were successfully completed. We're still proceeding at Mitchell Gulch. Um, we've got uh, the contract approved for the park again at Plum Creek. We have that groundbreaking on August the 2nd. Having great work on the Front Range Trail project. Um, it is uh, proceeding. Contractor is getting uh, some good work done. So we're excited to, uh, to move that project forward. Um, you're familiar with the, the Recreation Center work as well for our plans for a new Recreation Center. And with all of the stuff that we have, we have to go back and maintain. So you see some of the highlights there where we're replacing cardio equipment, replacing uh, turf at, at Matney, improving dugouts at, uh, at Paintbrush Park. So again, we're making really good progress on a lot of these um, items. And uh, we've got a position that's being funded out of the lodging tax, and we're putting in a putting green up at, um, at the golf course. And we're hoping for good weather for golf courses, for our golf course as well, because that's a, sometimes a challenge when it gets wet. Um, and then finally, managing um, our, our money conservatively. We've, we are paying attention to some of the grants that are out there. Um, I like to pursue grants for things that you all already have decided are important, not to create a program and then, um, uh, and then try and find a, uh, uh, a grant for it. Um, you'll be getting information about our 2022 Tabor surplus, the funds that we've spent um, already on the police officers that have been added some of the other things that we've uh, been doing on that, you'll get that as part of our uh, budget discussions here in, in the coming weeks. 
and uh, we continue to make some progress on energy cost savings as well. And uh, I started off by talking about uh, sales tax, so we know the, the council's importance that they place on managing our funds conservatively. So, happy to respond to any questions on the second quarter report or anything else. Any questions for David? With that, Tara is going to come up and talk just a little bit about some of our uh, projects that are in her department. Thank you. Dave and good evening council. So this is your monthly update on um, pre-applications and new quasi-judicial applications that we've received in the department. Um, we kind of go around uh, for each district. So starting in council member Hollingshead's district one, uh, we have a pre-application from Camp for Bouldering. Uh, I should remind everyone that pre-applications are not formal applications yet, but these are inquiries we get uh, where applicants want, well, developers or business owners want to know what the process would be if they chose to move forward. So they're looking at occupying a portion of one of the industrial buildings up at the north end of Timbermill Parkway. Uh, in District 2, Councilmember Cavey's district, uh, we do have a pre-application submittal for the site development plan for Canyons Far South. So this would be a site development plan that covers the entire development, all 474 um, homes that are allowed per zoning as well as the commercial space. Um, in McMurdo Gulch, so south of that area, um, off the terrain, uh, there are three civilian conservation core drop structures. Um, and so our stormwater group is looking into the process to potentially locally landmark those uh, to open up some state historical grant funding for their uh, maintenance. Um, so looking into that process. In District 3, Mayor Pro Tim Bracken's district, we have a pre-application uh, from the architect who's working with Parks on the Sports Development Center um, in the potential Brickyard area. So again, uh, looking to see what that process would be uh, just for the development of the Sports Center. Um, Hillside is a property that's under construction today off Wolfensberger Road and Coachline Road. This pre-application is looking to reface some of the construction plans. Uh, overall, they're approved for 120 units that I believe are all age-restricted. Um, so again, that part of it's built and then they're refacing part of it. Uh, in Meadows 17, there's a proposal for a child care center with two different playgrounds in the, we call it the Meadows Filing 17 area, so just off Prairie Hawk. Um, and I was about to say limelight. I think that is limelight. Further to the east, also off Meadows Parkway, is a proposed Murphy Oil gas station. Um, it's not the size of this vicinity map. This is the, the whole parcel, uh, but it is just one of the corners uh, that they're looking at putting in a gas station on that southeast side of the road. I'm over in filing 20, so this is just south of Castle Rock Middle School. Uh, there's existing uh, townhomes, and they're looking at the process to replace the concrete alleys, uh, their private alleys that are uh, located behind those. Uh, the Meadows Neighborhood Company, so the HOA is looking at installing one uh, dual port EV charging station on the property that they own just north of Meadows Boulevard, um, adjacent to the Taft House. In District 4, Councilmember LaFleur's district, uh, we've got 
a variety of pre-applications uh, in process right now. Uh, this one uh, just uh, really got routed today up at the Sonic. Uh, they are looking to uh, repaint and come into compliance with some of the rebranding elements that uh, Sonic is requesting of all of their franchisee holders. So they're looking to see what that whole process is, uh, changes to some of their architectural elements and signage as well as patio furniture. Uh, the Renaissance Secondary School, this is off of Blackfeather Trail um, and Woodlands Boulevard. Uh, they are looking to uh, put in a 30-foot yurt to use um, as a mobile classroom instead of bringing in a modular unit, so looking to understand what that process looks like. Uh, Calvary Chapel is constructing their new uh, facility on 5th Street in Woodlands. Uh, so they are under construction now, and this pre-application is to change some of the um, elevation architectural details um, on, I believe, mostly the east and south sides of that. So looking to understand what that process is. The Rampart Feed Shed um, off of um, Park Street is looking to add a shed to their property, so wanting to understand the process they need to go through. Um, similar area, uh, Snodgrass Automotive Repair and Storage is looking to make some changes to um, fencing, um, gating, landscaping, uh, security lighting in their area, so wanting to understand what that process is. And at 24 South Cantrell uh, Street, just uh, east of downtown here, there's a lot, and um, they're looking to add a three-unit townhome on it, so a triplex. All right, those were all the pre-applications that have come in over the last month. Uh, for new quasi-judicial applications, these are formal submittals that are actively under review and will be going to future um, public hearings. Uh, we have one in District 2, uh, Councilmember Cavey's district. Uh, this is for a Centura Health um, facility in Founders Marketplace. It would be a primary care facility uh, located just off Founders Parkway and 86 and Ridge Road. And then in Councilmember LaFleur's District 4, uh, Perry Street Social Club has submitted an amendment. Uh, they have an approval currently through the Design Review Board. Um, they were wanting to keep the ice skating rink, uh, but in looking at all that's involved with that, this uh, request would remove the ice rink and structure. Um, they would then move the building to the north, further south, to kind of, uh, and then build a new dining patio in the area of it. So that's what they're uh, looking at doing, and so that's under staff review now and has not been scheduled yet for a future public hearing, but it will be. So those are all of the, um, applications I wanted to talk to you about. I also wanted to take this opportunity to give you a quick update on building permit applications. Um, I know uh, you all see we publish our monthly um, numbers. Our single family homes is something that drives a lot of our budget, uh, which I know Dave's uh, spoken a lot about tonight also with sales tax, but from a building permit perspective, it drives um, capital improvement projects with the impact fees that come on, come in with each permit. This busy chart in front of you really shows the last uh, 22 years of single-family building permits in Castle Rock's history. Uh, you can see over the last 20 years, we average about 800 single-family permits. So this is not counting commercial or multifamily units. Um, we had some very high years in 2004, 5, and 6, um, and even you know back through 2000, those were almost all over our 20-year average. Uh, the Great Recession, 2007 through 2012, you can see 
Um, we dipped very low um, below those years. Uh, 259 is our lowest year uh, in permit activity in the year 2009. Uh, since 2013, we've generally been at or above our 20-year average in single-family permits, um, especially since 2018 through 2022. Those were some very high years. Um, I think there probably was some surprise that during COVID there was that much interest in, in new homes. But um, then the economy has changed a little bit starting about April of last year with the changes in the residential mortgage rates, uh, the residential market has really slowed. Uh, so when we talk about that slowing number of permits, you can see it graphically here. For 2023, uh, the 197 permits is through the month of June, so that's about halfway through the year. Uh, so we would um, anticipate we may end the year with about 400 single-family permits, which would be half of what our 20-year average is. Uh, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, I don't know that I want a crystal ball. None of us have a crystal ball. Um, so we'll see how quickly or slowly it rebounds or changes, but know that that does impact the capital improvement projects um, that do have to push out when uh, those impact fees aren't coming in. Um, so with that, I'm happy to answer any questions you might have on either permits or um, development items. Laura Cavey. I just have one question. Um, the Perry Street Social, mm -hmm. I thought for that, they were going to keep the ice rink. That's what their current uh, proposal, what their proposal was, and that's what was approved through the Design Review Board. They have made some uh, changes to their plan uh, due to the financial issues concerned with having to uh, bring it up to life health safety codes with the occupancy changes, right? So if you're operating a restaurant um, all around it, it changes some of the occupancy and, and sprinkling type restrictions for it. So they came to some financial decisions that they would not be able to keep it. And so they're going through the process to update their site plan because uh, they're no longer going to have that large tent structure in the middle. It'll, they'll have some sort of dining patio for their beer garden experience. Will that come through council? It goes to design review board to update the site plan amendment. Um, there is no requirement, though, that they operate a rink. Right, we don't, and we're not offering to run it for them as the town, so we don't have, uh, we're also not the landowner. Uh, so the DDA had purchased the spring structure years ago when we'd all partnered on it, um, and they have sold that to the Perry Street Social Owners. That was part of the um, deal they had originally structured with a, a lease you know, buyback on it, uh, but they have paid that out so that they're allowed to demolish it now. Okay, thank you. Physical floor? Um, at our last DDA meeting, that was one of the agenda items was for that board to vote whether for the, to, you know, push them to continue the rink or not. But there's a lot of challenges with it and the vegetable grade glycol and the tubing. And so financially, I think they just thought, you know, thought that it was not really worth pursuing to run the rink at that site. Um, I know Kevin Tilson and that group are considering uh, maybe operating a rink again in the future elsewhere but for that site it's very challenging and what they want to do with fire code and stuff like that so they did just go over that recently with dda and that that contract all right thanks yeah all right thank you guys thank you tara david thank you town insurance report uh, no report tonight, Mayor. Thank you. 
The acceptance of the agenda. If there are no changes, additions, or deletions to the agenda, a motion to accept the agenda as presented will be accepted. Second. First by Mayor Pro Tem Bracken, second by uh, Councilmember Hollingshead. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember KV? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to the consent calendar, these items are generally routine in nature and have been previously reviewed by town council and will be voted on a single motion without discussion. Any member of town council may remove an item from the consent calendar. Number 10, ordinance 2023-15, ordinance amending table 64-1 of section 16.54.040 of the Castle Rock Municipal Code regarding multi-family residential parking requirements. And then number 11, Resolution 2023-93, resolution appointing Emma Frakowitz and Mitch Black to the Board of Directors of Miller's Landing Business Improvement District. Number 12, resolution 2023-84, sorry, 94. Um, the resolution is assigning and transferring the Douglas County Housing Partnership to all to the Town of Castle Rock 2023 Private Activity Bond Volume Cap Allocation from the State Ceiling for private activity bonds, authorizing the execution of delivery and assignment and other documents connection therewith. Number 13, resolution 2023-95, resolution approving the service agreement amendment, the contract of Alfred Benich and Company of Plum Creek Parkway widening phase two and Ridge Road widening construction projects. Number 14, resolution 2023-96, resolution waiving formal written bidding requirements on the base of sole source approving equipment services, acquisition agreement, and hydro, hydro resources, Rocky Mountain Inc. for pumping equipment installation for well CR 234, 235, and 236. Number 15, resolution 2023-97, resolution approving the E85 wastewater intergovernmental agreement between the town of Castle Rock acting through its water enterprise and Dominion Water and Sanitation District acting through Sterling Ranch Wastewater Activity Enterprise and Sterling Ranch Community Authority Board. Number 16, proclamation, number 16, 2023-9, proclamation for the 35th anniversary of Douglas County, Douglas County Land Conservancy. And number 17, minutes, 2023-14, minutes on June 6th, and May 16th, and June 20th, town council meetings. I will accept the motion. So move. Second. I have a first from Mayor Pro Tem Bracken, and a second from Desi LaFleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pritchett Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passed unanimously. Thank you. Quasi judicial hearings, the following um, item is the due process hearing required under Colorado law in order to afford all par parties due process under this law. Town council members must be fair and impartial in deciding whether application should be approved, approved with conditions, or denied. In making such determination, the council members must consider for the record, which includes planning commission recommendation, staff recommendation, the applicant presentation, public comment presented during the hearing, and written uh, comments offered before and during the hearing. Under law, town council must evaluate 
proposed basis solely upon record and criteria established under municipal code, which is highlighted in the staff report. It is important that each council member remain objective and capable of considering information offered for the record during this hearing. If any council member believes that he or she is incapable of evaluating and voting on the application consistent with the due process requirements, please describe the situation and recruit yourself from further participation. Does any council member have a conflict of interest or matter that he or she would like to discuss? Seeing none, Madam Clerk, as the public being hearing may properly notice under applicable regulations of these types of land use hearings. Mayor Gray, yes it has. The council will now hear to applicant, public, and staff. Public comments will be taken in limited to four minutes per speaker. Councils are also accepting written comments submitted at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today as we entered into the record. Number 18, resolution 2023-98, resolution approving a site development plan for restaurant drive through in Founders Marketplace. Tara. All right, good evening, Mayor and Town Council. Uh, this is the McDonald's restaurant at Founders Marketplace. Uh, this vicinity map shows its location uh, northeast of the intersection with 86 and Ridge Road, um, also called Four Corners. It includes Fifth Street and Founders Parkway. Um, this parcel is uh, just under one and a half acres in size. Um, it is in a neighborhood commercial center for Founders Marketplace. Um, And surrounding uses, yeah, I'll just touch on surrounding uses on this slide. Um, there are office, retail, restaurant, and bar uses that are allowed in this whole Founders Marketplace area. Uh, adjacent uses already constructed include a credit union, a car wash, uh, there's a 7-Eleven gas station, and there are some inline medical um, office and dental uh, buildings in this area. Um, I do also want to touch on its proximity to residential. Um, it is over 610 feet um, uh, to the homes that would be located on the west side um, of this area. And then to the east side are homes in the town of Castle Rock uh, that are over 758 feet away. So uh, it's not here tonight for any sort of interface requirements, uh, but just wanted to point out kind of where its proximity is to what uh, existing homes and residential zoning is in the area. Uh, so a little history of approvals on this property. In uh, 1985, the original zoning and the current zoning was approved. It's called the Mollen Office Center Infill uh, PD. Um, it was approved by the Board of Trustees uh, back in 1985. It does include a portion of zoning regulations uh, that are from the Villages of Castle Rock PD, which was adopted in 1981. Um, a little... Um, I'll call it a completion provision is how we're trying to refer to it. The zoning doesn't expire, but there is buried in the back pages of the older 1981 language a statement that phasing plans would show that uh, the area was completed within 25 years. So this has come up previously um, due to the size and type of this um, commercial building under 10 acres, under 100,000 square feet, it would not typically be a public hearing. Uh, but because of this completion statement about um, the area being completed in 25 years when this was researched at the time, it was determined that we would just bring these site development plans through council to make sure that um, that there was no question as to what was going on. But the zoning does not expire, but there's also not a remedy for what happened. So it's, it's a little odd. I guess I should just leave it at that. It's an odd thing. Uh, you had previously seen before you the medical office center, um, those in line, um, uh, one with the, the vet and the other medical 
ones in it. So it's kind of a quirky clause. We call it the 25-year completion clause. Thank you, 1981. Uh, this chart, I think this, I apologize, this might be an older, um, older PowerPoint. Um, this chart's not very readable, so I've removed this slide. Uh, but let me walk through the rest of it for you. Uh, the McDonald's uh, that's proposed is just over 5,000 square feet in size. Uh, in the site plan on this sheet, State Highway 86 is on the bottom, south of the site. Aloha Street uh, comes up through uh, through the property, and McDonald's is proposed to take their access actually off of an internal access drive. So they have plenty of space for queuing and stacking on their site. Uh, um, and they're not in jeopardy of backing up along the state highway. Um, the building height proposed is just under 22 feet, so I'll talk more about that on another slide. Um, and they do comply with all of our requirements for the number of parking spaces as well as landscaping, parking lot, landscaping, and lighting for the site. The reason I mentioned the height is this is in the Skyline Ridgeline area, so you can see the subject property outlined um, in the parcel here. Uh, yellow signifies the moderate skyline, uh, which restricts uh, buildings to 25 feet that are within the yellow area. Uh, the blue indicates the minor skyline, which would allow up to 35 feet in height. So McDonald's is proposed at just under 22 feet, so 21 inches, seven. 21 feet, seven inches, uh, so they comply with uh, being less than 25 feet on that site. Uh, there have been some community outreach uh, neighborhood meetings for this property. Um, one was held in June of 2022 prior to their submittal, um, and then one in May and June of this year. Uh, most of the, the feedback uh, were just questions, general questions regarding traffic in the area, uh, some general questions regarding fast food as a choice. Uh, the zoning does allow uh, restaurants um, and drive-throughs. Um, and then at one of the last meetings, we did receive um, some positive feedback too, so it's been kind of a mix uh, with residents in the area. For the site development plan review and approval criteria, these are in Title 17, excuse me, Chapter 1738 of um, the Town Code. Uh, there's five main areas that are looked at, and that's what staff review goes through. We look at the technical design criteria, the um, drainage basins, the traffic reports, all of the elements that roll into uh, what is required. Uh, staff confirms and recommends approval based on the fact that it conforms with the goals of the town's guiding documents. It does meet the zoning on the property, the mall and office infill PD, um, and it meets the criteria in Title 1738. Uh, Planning Commission reviewed this on June 22nd and recommended approval by a vote of 7 to 0. Uh, so that really wraps up my proposal, or excuse me, my presentation. Uh, we have a motion, proposed motion to approve the resolution as introduced by title for your consideration. Um, the applicant's consultant is here tonight, so Robert Palmer has a uh, presentation to make also. So I'm happy to take any questions now or after the applicant's presentation. Any questions before the applicant's presentation? Laura Cavey? I wasn't able to make some of the um, planning commission meetings around this. What was the feedback from the residents? Uh, no members of the public attended the planning commission meeting, um, so there was no feedback given at that time. In your packet are the neighborhood meeting summaries for the three meetings that were held, and they were general questions about traffic and the road network handle it, um, and then questions on 
why fast food restaurant, why was McDonald's looking at this area? Uh, there were questions about, um, they're proposing an indoor play place, so there were kind of post-COVID questions on cleanliness and sanitation, um, which the applicant answered, um, as well as some questions, um, I believe, on just why wasn't this going to be a bar versus a fast food restaurant? So there were some, some comments like that, so. Was most, what was most of the feedback? Was most of the feedback good or negative? Uh, it was pretty general. There was um, both positive and negative feedback, right? We don't, we don't like uh, McDonald's fast food, and boy, that'll be a nice place to go because we don't have a drive-through on the side of town. So there was a, a mix. Um, overall, you can see there were seven people that attended the first meeting, and then only two that attended um, the next two meetings. All right, thank you. Thank you, any more questions? Max Brooks. You know, one of the one of the concerns that I kind of took away from some of the comments that, that I'd read about the neighborhood meetings is seems to be a little confusion. I'm going to ask you kind of a, a little bit of a odd question, uh, but there seems to be a little confusion about how something like this comes to be. Takeaway that I had from some of the comments is that it seemed like the town uh, there's a belief, perhaps, that the town went out and decided that this is a good place to put a McDonald's, that either A, the town needs a third McDonald's, or B, that this is the place for a McDonald's to go. Um, and there's, it seems like there's some confusion around that, uh, about why would the town want this here? Um, can you just speak to how that really is not the case? Yeah, no, definitely. That's a great question, Councilmember Brooks. Um, the town, we don't solicit these businesses. The property was zoned in 1985 that allows a variety of uses. As you could see from the vicinity map, um, there's a credit union nearby, there's a bank, um, there's um, a medical office building. So all of those are allowed in this area. Uh, the property owner then markets it and, and works with brokers to sell it. Um, it's my understanding that um, McDonald's saw this property, or the local franchisee saw this property and looked at their uh, the market in this area and determined that that would be a good place for them to make an investment. So they first approach us as a pre-application to ask what is the process. Uh, during that pre-application is where we determine whether it's an allowed use or not, and that's usually when an applicant determines to move forward or not. So specifically, McDonald's was never mentioned in 1985, um, but this type of use is allowed in this area. So we don't pick and choose um, the, the business. Um, you know, we didn't pick and choose La Loma, right, which every, is one that people um, love to talk about as a successful place to go to. But the market drives what comes uh, to us. If it was not allowed by the zoning and they were before us asking for a zone change, then we, you all, would get to weigh in on whether you wanted that type of use there. But the town, we don't get to pick uh, and choose the specific businesses. Um, yes, so we didn't lobby for or against a McDonald's. It's an allowed use and we reviewed it to the town code. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Just one other question. Is it uh, fair to say that it's the town's belief that the item that we're going to hear tonight that could potentially, uh, if we vote on it later, as far as the four corners improvements in that area that would be slated to begin in August, we're looking at potential construction of this McDonald's to begin in August. Uh, is it fair to say the town's opinion would be that those improvements that may be made at the Four Corners area would be able to help with traffic concerns that might potentially arise from the increase in traffic around a fast food restaurant? Yes, I believe that this the volume of traffic going through Four Corners today far outweighs the amount that 
will visit the McDonald's. However, adding any new businesses in this area will benefit from the improvements that are being made that regionally help all of the um, commuters and residents move through this area. Um, but yes, 1.3 acres on its own being developed uh, does not make or break this intersection, but it definitely helps. Uh, and we've been planning for uh, those improvements as we know this property and others in the area are zoned for more development. Okay, thank so, you. Thank you. Any more questions for Tara before we move on to the presentation and public comment? Thank you, Tara. All right. Uh, Robert Palmer is with Strategic Land uh, Solutions. You're welcome, and you can drive um, the presentation yourself. Okay, thank you. Good evening, thank you for hearing us today. Um, I'd like to just take a minute to just compliment your staff. I work in a lot of different municipalities, and it's been it's been a pleasure to work with, with your staff to be able to just pick up a phone and and call on a comment and, and have a discussion and have some collaboration and, and work through issues. As part of that, we've, and I'll, and I'll touch a little bit more on this as we go through, um, we've reoriented the, biz, the the layout of the site and worked with access and everything. And, and I can tell you, when, when we're able to do that with, with city staff, the project always comes out better. So I just wanted to, to compliment Dina and uh, Carson and, and everyone else who's, who's worked on this project with us. So Tara did a very good job of, of running through everything, so I'm not gonna regurgitate everything that she did. Um, I know you got a lot going on tonight, so I'm just gonna touch on some of the, some of the bigger issues. Um, so, so to talk about traffic to begin with, so as part of the original development, there was a traffic study done, done that was, was done for this development that looked at how the traffic comes in. As part of this development, we did a site-specific study that looked at how an uh, actual McDonald's interacts with what was what was originally anticipated as part of that that study to make sure that we don't cause any adverse effects that have you know affect the level of service at the intersections and things like that another another thing that we worked with with staff with on this was we're not taking any access off of aloha all of our access comes off of this this uh, drive access that feeds the the canvas credit union right here and the recently uh, completed car wash over here we, we anticipate the vast majority of, of our traffic is going to come out of, through this exit and entrance point right here. This, this is existing to the Canvas Credit Union. I mean, we might pick up a little bit from people leaving Canvas coming in, but really it acts more as our second access point to, to meet that fire requirement. Um, so as far as stacking, I mean, you can see how much distance that we have from our, our order windows all the way back to this entry point. So there's, there's no... <coughs> There's no chance that that traffic would ever get, even get back on, you know, to the access drive, much less into Aloha, and just, you know, beyond uh, comprehension that it would ever get on, get back up to the highway. The building's kind of. We, we originally, when we first came to the to the town, we had this building rotated 90 degrees, and we had the fa the front of the building facing um, the highway. But working with with staff and and the engineering staff and access and everything else. We rotated the building to the orientation we have now, pushed that drive through into the kind of the heart of, of the commercial development part up against the, the drive throughs um, with, with Canvas Credit Union. So to the west, you know, it's, it's almost 600 feet to the west where you have your first residential house. It's buffered by Canvas's building for their, uh, their drive through and our drive through as well. And then heading east, you've got about 700 feet across a, a gully 
to the first uh, residence over there. And so our drive-through is tucked behind our building. It, it masks a lot of the Canvas Credit Union as well. Um, just as even more of a buffer. That 700 feet is a long ways from residential, but you know, the orientation helps that as well. We've also gone in um, beyond just looking at the, the code and and trying to meet the landscape code. This this area along the street here with the landscaping, the tree, there's existing trees out there. We're coming in and we're, we're enhancing landscape along here with, with different types of grasses and shrubs that'll also help buffer against the adjacent streets. Um, this area out here is, is CDOT, so we're, we're not allowed to do a lot of work in CDOT. They're pretty picky about what we can plant-wise and trees and stuff, and there's a few little trees out there now. But you can see the buffer that we've gone in here. This area is also sitting on top of a, a, a water main that runs through there, so we can't go in and put big trees over, over the city's water main. But you can just see on the landscape plan how much we've, uh, we've come in here and just kind of buffered that, that frontage up against the state highway. Um, and then the other, we've also used the building with this, we, the play place for a couple of reasons. One is we, we feel like it's a good fit for the neighborhood, a good indoor place in the winter for, for kids to play. It also allows us to, to add more glazing to the front. So when we come back to here, and we've got our, our access out to the public right away. This area right here is this part, this part of the building. And so you can see the glazing that's in there kind of opens it up, makes it, that pedestrian connection that, that we really try and work with on, you know, that's kind of the modern way of planning to, to engage a street, bring in pedestrians, bring in bicycle traffic and things like that. We try and increase the glazing and that, that really helps that out. We've also, on the drive-through side, we've gone in and used different materials. Um, obviously, you can't have a building that's five feet set back and things like that where you've got a car pulling up to it. So we go in with, with different materials to create changes in the visual architecture on it to help just make it appear nicer. Um, and so that's really it. I just, you know, give you a kind of an overview and I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. I find that a little bit more helpful than just trying to anticipate what you're thinking. Thank you, Robert. Any questions for Robert? Max Brooks? In one of the neighborhood meetings, there was a question that was asked about the hours of operation, which you had answered. Uh, but in the, and I assume it was you, uh, in the answer that was given, uh, there was a comment made in there uh, about how the hours may be adjusted as needed. I was just wondering if you could kind of clarify that. Yeah, so we, uh, ideally, we would, we will operate 24 hours, uh, but but it's it's really driven by the use. So we, would, we wouldn't stay operational 24 hours if, if the, there was no customers coming in. Um, it's a heart McDonald's is a business and, and they know yeah. how to run it. So typically a lot of times what ends up happening is, is it, it, the, you know, drive-through might be open from midnight, 5 a.m. to midnight, and then Saturday, Sunday, it might be 24 hours. So we, we, we want to be open and we don't want to come back in and say it's, we, you know, tell you it's not going to be open 24 hours and it is, but it, it's really, especially during the weekdays, driven by, okay. by customers. Just demand. Okay, yeah. thank you. Councilmember Dietz. Thank you. I'm yeah, just curious, besides the site plan, what, how many typical, roughly, employees does a typical McDonald's employ these days? Typical McDonald's will, will employ at least right 50 people between all the shifts. And again, that depends on what the sales are, and obviously you staff accordingly and stuff, but typically to cover all the staffs, you're in, you're in the neighborhood of 50 people. 
Any more questions for the presenter? Thank you. Thanks. I do have one sign up for today is Matt Boatwright. Everything's already been approved here, uh, so I'll be delivering a bit of a post-mortem. Uh, I wanted to see who keeps proposing these projects and who keeps approving of them. I live in Founders Village, and I can tell you that nobody but McDonald's wants McDonald's in their neighborhood. The people in Founders move there to get away from McDonald's, and yet places like that keep chasing us. This, develop, this development is not being pushed by people who live here it's being pushed by somebody else. People who do not live here, they don't have children here. They don't work here, they don't drive here, they don't shop here. There's already McDonald's on the other side of town in Castle Rock already, and it's the ugliest thing on that side of town. It's less than three miles away from this. I'm not sure why we need another one. Not a single person in Founders Village is going to go, wow, that's really an inconvenience to drive that three miles to get my Happy Meal. Nobody needs a McDonald's. There are plenty of places to eat right down the street. Right down on Founders Parkway, you can get a burger from all types of other chain restaurants. Or you can go to the grocery store in King Supers right there in the corner, and you can make your own burger. This McDonald's is gonna result in nothing but more traffic, more congestion, and in turn, more development. It's part of a cycle that consumes every square inch of God's green earth. Developers destroy the landscape to make housing developments, which means more people. More people means more traffic. More traffic results in more infrastructure and then more expansion. Then they fill up the only open areas left with chain restaurants, gas stations, and strip malls. And when they've successfully destroyed a community, having nowhere left to build cheap structures, they move on to another place like the locusts they are and start over again. A McDonald's changes the character of a community, and not in a good way. A giant multinational corporation that is an anathema to small neighborhoods and local businesses. The Golden Arches are a flag that flies over any neighborhood that has been turned into an overdeveloped and overpopulated dump. The image of McDonald's characterizes the worst elements of America. Cheap, tacky, poisonous garbage, symbolic of the values that they promote gluttony and consumerism. I've lived in plenty of places where McDonald's is right around the corner and they're never nice places. They are aesthetically offensive and an unwanted development. They smell and making it look like a lodge isn't going to change the fact that it's a McDonald's. It's just putting lipstick on a pig. It ruins the natural surroundings and replaces it with lifeless urban landscape. With multinational corporations, you get their multinational values and identities. If this continues, what makes Founders Village or Castle Rock, for that matter, any different than Las Vegas, Los Angeles, or any other city uh, that looks exactly the same? This is not a development, it is destruction. Thank you, Matthew. I have no one else on to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak to the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone in callers and press star three or state your name and whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. We have one online. Thank you. Go ahead. 
I think that's enough time, Shannon. Can you hear me? Oh, now we got you. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Hi, I'm, my name is Julia McConaughey, and I am a resident. Um, in regards to this, um, I'm not sure our community has really carefully considered the impact of introducing a McDonald's restaurant into our neighborhood. I don't believe that speaking to nine people within the community really reserves the right to say that this is something that they want and this is something that our community needs. And I believe that it would be in the best interest of our community to not have a McDonald's. I understand that McDonald's is a popular fast food chain, but there are several concerns I personally have identified to make it unsuitable for our neighborhood, which is Boundary Village. To state the obvious, McDonald's is, as we all know, super unhealthy food and promotes unhealthy lifestyle and eating habits, of which Douglas County is consistently ranked some of the healthiest, one of the healthiest places to live in the United States. But most importantly, the arrival of McDonald's restaurants will have a detrimental effect on our local businesses, particularly small locally owned eateries, which is why we have moved to Castle Rock because of its historic feel and locally owned feel. And by coming and bringing in more chains in corporate America, it will lose its entire identity that you guys are supposed to be protecting. The fast food giant's significant brand presence and existence, marketing capabilities will likely draw customers away from existing establishments, leading to potential closures and job losses, of which we need, we significantly need, and not just 50 new part-time, you know, $19, $17 an hour positions. So I'm in support for local entrepreneurship and sustain a diverse and vibrant business environment, which could be undermined by the dominance of this multinational corporation. You know, McDonald's is known for its drive-through services, which could exacerbate traffic congestion like we talked about and safety concerns in our already busy neighborhood and the intersection on Northridge Road with increased traffic flow, especially during peak hours. This can lead to road hazards, noise pollution, decreased quality of life for residents, the odor itself is oppulsive, which is why we moved up here, is to be away from corporate America down on the Founders area and in the meadows. And like the last person stated, lastly, there is McDonald's just three miles away. So why do we need another one so close? So considering these factors, I would hope that McDonald's is not aligned with our community's values and goals. And I hope that you guys understand that McDonald's is not aligned with our community's values and goals. And we should remain committed to the well-being of our neighbors, our children, and the vitality of our local businesses, the people in our community that own these businesses, that actually have a stake in our community and a and what's happening around us, and McDonald's will never do that. So therefore, I encourage you as our community leaders to not support this. I get that it's already approved, but nine people through these pre-approval processes don't really mean anything when Castle Rock is a lot larger than nine people showing up to these unpublicized meetings. So to support the feel of our community, align with what your constituents want and contribute to the betterment of our community as a whole, I would suggest we do not move forward with this McDonald's. And again, Julia McConaughey, resident. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. I have no one else under the speakers. Is there anybody else online?
seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for discussion and possible motion. Yeah, absolutely. Laura Cavey. So obviously this is in my district. Um, that's why I was trying to understand what the feedback from the community was. Um, unfortunately, I was not at the uh, neighborhood meetings. Obviously, I also agree that nine people doesn't really represent a community. We have heard time and time again that our community doesn't want more fast food. They want to support local businesses. They want things that are unique, and McDonald's is not unique. Um, so for me, I will be supporting the community, and it will be a no for me. Thank you for the discussion. Max Brooks. I, I specifically had asked staff that question, hoping um, that there might be some clarity around the fact that you know the town is not pursuing multinational corporations over small business. Would we prefer to have small business? Yeah, probably so. You know, was there an opportunity for small business, locally owned business, to go into that area? Yeah, absolutely. You know, these aren't choices that we make. Um, somebody could easily say that if it was a locally owned chicken joint, that gosh, with all the hormones in chicken these days, we really shouldn't be supporting chicken. We'd be much better off with, you know, another. We we don't we don't make those distinctions where we do not have the ability to make that that decision on what does or what does not go. Does it fit within the zoning that was approved? And, and quite simply, yes, it does. Um, I believe that that if I were to personally move against it, I would probably need to to cite specifically why as a result you know, of, of zoning, you know, or does it not fit into something? If it fits into all of the items that are allowed by use of law and land ownership, then we do not have the ability to say, no, I don't like it because it's multinational and not local. Uh, and so Ryan, can I go first now? Sorry, Ryan. Um, I'll go first and then Ryan Holland said, yeah, I mean, would I rather have a locally owned restaurant? Yeah, I mean, I think we all would. Um, we try to support our local businesses. At the same time, uh, McDonald's doesn't go there unless it wins. I mean, they, they, they just, they don't. And uh, with all due respect to our residents, they wouldn't go there in that spot if they didn't think the terrain and the founders and the surrounding area is gonna support it. Would I much rather have a local owned business? Yeah, but they, like Max mentioned, they had the opportunity to go there. And we don't pick winners and losers like that. We just don't, I don't think it's fair. I mean, I, do, do I, I want McDonald's there? I'll be honest, I, I don't. But the truth is they have the legal right to be there. And they're gonna do fantastic because that's what they do. Um, and that, and that's, that is the, the, the cold hard facts of it. There's no gray area in that. It's, it, they're allowed to be there. Um, and I think even though that, you know, I think that we'd much rather have somebody local do it, um, someone local didn't step up. We don't pick, I mean, we'd love that, you know, I mean, we get a lot of feedback people want us to have a bowling alley and that kind of stuff, or certain things for, for kids. We don't build bowling alleys. Bowling alley manufacturers build bowling alleys and they have deemed that we don't, that we don't uh, hit their, their boxes for a bowling alley or whatever it is, laser tag, what have you. Um, and, but McDonald's has deemed that this is a good spot for them. And I don't see how I can vote no to something that is legally acceptable there. 
um, and then no one else has got there first. So, Ryan, sorry. Yeah, I echo the same things. It's been sitting there for 37 years, and that area has been pretty close to built out for the last five. I mean, it's going to be a profitable, profitable corner, and any small business would be supported by the town, would probably find incentives at the state level, the local level, and nobody's jumped on it. And so it's just, I think when you, you fight, have an I-25 in the middle of the town, that that becomes a restaurant desert out there. And so this will, will be a service to some and a convenience to some people, um, as much as people may feel it's an eyesore. And also think about kids and having jobs. Yeah, there's a, a McDonald's three minutes away, but it's really 10 more minutes away. So if you gotta drop your 15, 16 year old off for a job, at least this is around the corner. Maybe some kids ride their bikes there, or whatever it might be. but. Um, it does provide a convenience despite the choice. So uh, I, th I think it's a, a good proposal. Thanks. Des LaFleur and then Merrick Potem Bracken. I just want to mention too that um, down in Crystal Valley, there was a little locally owned market uh, that tried doing organic beef and organic um, uh, market items, grocery items, and unfortunately they've closed. And you know what's going in? Domino's is going in that exact location where Natural Market gave it a shot, and local local business and small business owners. And now it's gonna be a Domino's. So if it's not a McDonald's today, it probably will be eventually. The, the market is tough for small business, and it's, it's very tough for locally uh, sourced small restaurants. So just a thought. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Thank you, Mayor. Yeah, so, yeah, my, my vote is I'll just reference a conversation that I had with one of my friends who lives in Founders, and he said, uh, hey, man, what's with the McDonald's going in out, in out in Founders? And I said, hey, man, I didn't ask for it, and what about capitalism? He said, okay, conversation over. So he kind of got it. You know, like, we didn't ask for it. They meet the criteria. We are the approving body, and um, do I like it? Just like just about everybody else, not not sure I like it, but um, that's where I'm at with my vote. Yep. Any further discussion? Any proposed motion? I move to approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second. First by Desi Lafleur. Second by Ryan Hollinshead. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. No. Councilmember Lafleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz? No. Council, or, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes five to two. Thank you. Next we have advertised public hearing and discussion action items. Public comment will be taken on the items for four minutes per speaker. Per speaker. Council will also accept uh, comments submitted written online at crgov.com backslash council comments by one o'clock today to be included in the public record. Number Number 19, 2023-99, resolution approving parking lease agreement with Douglas County School District um, RE-1. David? Mayor and Council, we're uh, pleased to present uh, to you a uh, lease that you would adopt by resolution with our school district for 55 uh, parking spaces um, that are uh, on the eastern side of the parking lot here downtown. Um, for the school district headquarters. We know that a successful downtown uh, is gonna have parking needs. Uh, we are continuing to, to monitor that, looking for opportunities uh, to provide parking for the downtown area. Uh, the community survey, when we asked the question about uh, what is something that you would like to see in the downtown, 
more parking was the most significant concern. It had the, the, the strongest uh, support as a statement in the, in the downtown. So this lease would uh, provide for 55 surface parking spaces that already exist on the school district uh, property. It's not creating new parking spaces, it's creating new public ability to park there. Right now, solely owned by the school district, solely governed by the school district, they can decide who can park there, um, they can restrict it. What they're doing with this agreement is they are leasing the uh, easternmost 55 parking spaces for um, public use. Um, and in discussions with the school district, it was appropriate that they be compensated for that. Um, we looked in the downtown area what parking spaces were be rented at and the 50 bucks um, per space per month was the number that came back pretty strong from our sampling and that totaled to $33,000 a year in annual rent. We'll also get a pro rata cost for the maintenance, pothole fixing, uh, any resurfacing, uh, snow removal that the school district will continue to do. Very significantly, council, town uh, general fund, the town transportation fund will not bear this cost. Instead, the downtown development authority special fund will pay for the rent costs and the maintenance costs and the installation of the of the signs at this location. Keep in mind what the DDA special fund is. That is the new property tax from all of the property taxing entities in the downtown and the town sales tax that has been generated in the downtown since the DDA was created here uh, back in uh, 2008. So um, that uh, fund has the capacity to absorb this cost. Significantly, the lease allows for the sublease of spaces with the school district's um, permission. Um, you should know that as we have had discussions with the owner of the old city hotel on Perry Street, that that uh, proposal is to redevelop that site with lodging, a small boutique hotel, uh, probably 25 keys, 30 keys, and then rehabilitate uh, the old city hotel project. There is not parking on that location that would allow for that proposed redevelopment. So it is possible that if that project proceeds, you will then see um, as part of your review of the incentive agreement for that project, a sublease of some of these parking spaces, probably about 25 of the spaces, um, not necessarily providing exclusive use for the city hotel, but allowing them to park there um, as well. This is an aerial of the site. You see the um, 55 parking spaces with the crossed lines there. Uh, north is to the left, east is to the top on this aerial. So the school district employees, like all employees, will park nearest the building. Um, so you see that that's what they're going to do. And the excess parking um, will be available then for, for public use. We know some of the other businesses in that area will um, enjoy being able to, for example, perhaps direct some of their employees from the I call it the Vista Vino Shopping Center. I think it's got a new name now. It used to be the Victorian Center. Um, or the um, Wild Blue Yonder establishment, other places 
maybe that can free up some additional parking there as well. It'll provide for additional parking in the, the downtown. Parking is expensive. It's expensive to buy land. It's expensive to construct parking. Here we're doing neither. We're using an existing underutilized parking lot and um, allowing the public to park on it um, and uh, continue to use it for for those public um, uh, spaces um, on, on into the future. So this uh, lease has been before the DDA uh, board. They recommended approval at their May meeting. It's been before the school district board. They unanimously approved it as well. And it comes before you with staff's recommendation to approve the uh, resolution number 99 for the parking lease agreement. I'm happy to respond to questions. Any questions I have, Desi LaFleur and then Laura Cavey. Dave, is um, Old City Hotel contributing to that annual fee? Oh, absolutely. We, if, the, if, if we come to an agreement with the City Hotel, it'll be a direct path through, pass, path, pass through cost um, to them. We're not going to um, uh, lose anything Flip on that. The if they would yeah. have the 20 or 25 spaces that they would end up needing at that location. And that would be for valet type parking. I mean, it's probably gonna be where somebody you know, shows up up front at the hotel, gives their keys to the valet, the valet drives it back up to this location and then hustles back the almost two blocks back to the hotel. And then who's gonna be in charge of policing it? I obviously will need signage to indicate we'll have, what's we'll have, designated we'll have signage, for the school We'll install district. the signage paid through by the DDA special fund and then we'll work with the school district to, to police it, but it'll be public parking that is that is allowed. So um, they'll, they'll, they'll be allowed to, to, to park there um, uh, and, and use it for whatever they're doing in the downtown area. And then will we be responsible for any restriping or maintenance down the road? We'll be uh, doing the pro rata share of the entire parking lot. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it's striped now. It's, I mean, it's, it's ready for use now. As a matter of fact, there's probably some people that just park there and the school district doesn't, doesn't know any better, but they don't have there the are. legal right to be there. <laughs> okay, thanks. That's it for my questions. Laura Cavey? Mine are kind of along the same vein. Um, if we're thinking that the old city hotel will use 20 or 25 parking spaces. Would those then come out of where the public can park? Those would come out of the 55 spaces. Yes, they, they would. Yeah. But um, I think that, that given the likelihood of how the hotel's going to use it, not all of their, they, they'll have to lease the number of spaces in order to, re, to comply with our parking requirements. Not all of their guests will park there all of the time or for all of the time. So it'll be available for essentially a, a, a hunting pass to be able to use those spaces. I guess my concern is, and I understand the DDA is paying for it and all of that, but my concern is we, we keep trying to find places for parking, but we're gonna give half those spaces away to the hotel. That, that is a possibility, yes. That's, that, that's a likely possibility if the city hotel project proceeds. We continue to look for more parking. Um, we continue to have discussions with the school district about maybe doing even something else on this property to add more parking in the future. And those, those discussions will, will continue. This is the best that we could do with them at this point in order to add a little bit more, 
more parking. I don't, adding, even if we end up, even if they use half of those spaces, um, that's still quite a bit more parking in that area of downtown that's available for the public. Okay, thank you. Any more questions for David? Seeing, go ahead. Uh, sorry, Desi oh, Floor. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. I move to approve resolution 2023. Oh, geez. Sorry. <laughs> I have no one time to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. And online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone calls to press star to raise your name. Whether you're a resident, non resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, now Desi. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> I move to approve resolution 2023-099, approving a parking lease agreement with Douglas County School District, RE1. Second. Uh, first, by Desiree Fleur, second by Max Brooks, I'd like to speak in favor. Um, like Dave mentioned, anytime we can get more parking, better. Um, it's not a perfect solution, but it's, it's a, a good solution. Um, and we don't know if, uh, if that city hotel is gonna go forward or not. I, I hope it does, but even if it does, it's gonna be a, a, probably a few year um, build, and hopefully by the time it gets built, we'll have more, even more parking spots um, for our public. So um, I, anytime we can grab um, parking, a parking lot and parts of a parking lot um, for a pretty reasonable price, uh, I think we should do it. So uh, I do appreciate the hard work on staff. Um, any more? Any more comments? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember Lafleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Deeds. Yes. Mayor Bracken. Yes. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. I will read the next uh, two following items together, and we'll vote on them separately. Number 20, Ordinance 2023-16, Ordinance amending Section 10.08.010 of the Castle Rock Municipal Code regarding restricted parking, neighborhood parking permit program. And number 21, Resolution 2023-100, Resolution approving and adopting a Town of Castle Rock neighborhood parking permit system. Matthew. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening, Council. Um, so as mentioned, we do have two items here regarding the proposed neighborhood parking permit program. As a little bit of a background, this has come before you a couple of times uh, this year. Back in February, there was a topic introduced with an overview of other municipalities and their programs. And then back on June 6th, we provided a little bit more of a detailed program for your consideration. Um, so we do have the full program for your review tonight. Essentially, this neighborhood parking permit program is intended to be a last resort, something that a resident or an individual can pursue after uh, attempting to deal with parking matters through other existing matter uh, options in town. So this is a neighborhood-driven process and um, really concerning neighborhood parking adjacent to high density areas, including parks, schools, and multifamily developments. Ultimately, the goal of this would be to limit on-street parking in public street areas uh, within a specific boundary area and to improve those parking issues in those neighborhoods. So the parking uh, permit program would be able to be a applied for by any individual. An HOA could apply, um, a neighborhood group, anyone could apply for this program. Staff would work with that point of contact to develop the boundaries 
and uh, the intention of this program is to limit the boundaries to the smallest area possible. So it would not affect large neighborhoods or entire subdivisions, but really the, uh, the specific street areas that are impacted by their adjacency to these high development, uh, high density areas. In order to qualify for the permit program, at least 75% of the individuals in the project area would need to sign a petition supporting the program. Uh, availability of parking would need to be less than 25% of the total parking in the area. Um, the area would have to be solely residential and would need to be uh, near a high density area. And one thing that is a little bit unique here is that on street parking areas that may be adjacent to parks, uh, we would essentially look to divide the street where the parking right next to the park area would remain open. Uh, however, the parking by the residences across the street could be permitted. So the uh, program would need to be approved by town council. Essentially, the point of contact would apply with staff. Staff would work through the process, ensure that all of the criteria is maintained and that it is met. And when we make that determination, that would be brought to council for full approval and implementation at that point. If staff were to deny an application for any reason, um, the applicant would also be able to appeal that decision to town council for your final decision decision of whether or not to implement a neighborhood parking permit program. Assuming a boundary area is approved, each residence in the area would receive two resident permits, two visitor permits uh, with no charge, as well as the they would have the ability to request special event permits for like a one day you know, party or something of that nature. Um, and they could do that throughout the year. If someone were to lose their permit, they could uh, request a replacement for a $15 fee just to cover some of the staff and program costs on that. Enforcement would be performed by the Castle Rock Police Department. And of course, vehicle owners would be responsible for any citations. At this point, um, as staff, we don't really know the budget impact of this. It would really be driven based on the size of the program areas. There would be signage costs, permit costs, of course, staff time. Um, but uh, it will really depend on the size of any approved areas and how many of those that we're dealing with on an annual basis. Um, but we would monitor those costs and if we needed any additional budget appropriation, we'd bring that to you as part of a budget amendment or as part of the annual budget process. So in order to adopt this, uh, there are two items for consideration tonight. The first is a, an ordinance to amend uh, chapter 108010 of town code uh, to designate an area uh, for the neighborhood parking permit program. It would give you the ability to designate those areas and uh, this provision also then allows the Castle Rock Police Department to enforce restrictions within those areas. Uh, the other item is a resolution just to adopt the program uh, and the document is available in the packet. Uh, so those two items would need to be approved to implement this program. And um, should both of those be approved, the program would be available for use upon the effective date of the ordinance uh, after it would be approved on second reading. So that sums up uh, my information here. So I'm available for questions and uh, we do have proposed motions or alternate motions available for you as well. Thank you, Matt. Before we go to public comment, any questions from Matthew? 
Seeing none, I have no one's time to speak. If there's no someone who wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and callers can press star three. And please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for possible <coughs> motion and discussions. I move to approve ordinance 2023-016 as introduced by title. Second. Uh, first by Max Brooks, a second by Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Any further discussion? Max? Uh, just a quick comment. Yeah, thank you for the work on this. I know that it started as a discussion here, uh, and I appreciate you guys kind of going from zero to 100 on this thing and creating the program. Um, you know, I could I could look and say, oh, you know, this is kind of for specific areas of town, but honestly, you know, there was an issue that came up recently. Uh, Councilwoman KV, you had some concerns about single family for rent uh, structure up in the Castlewood Ranch area. Um, you know, parking was going to be a little a little goofy there, um, and I think these are the things that as infill kind of continues, that perhaps that might be um, potentially uh, a release valve for folks that are already in that founder's area if people that are um, renting in that development to be that's been approved start parking over where they're not supposed to. So I think it's, it's important to be able to have these mechanisms in place um, so then that way there's something the residents can do. Thank you, Max. Any further discussion? We have a first and a second. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey? No. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? No. Mayor Pro Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes five to two. Thank you. Second proposed motion. Um, Mayor, Mayor to resolution is on, this, on the screen as well. I move to approve resolution 2023-100 as introduced by title. Second. Uh, first by Ryan Hollingshead, second by Mayor Proton Bracken. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Aye. No. Aye. Aye. No. Yes. Aye. Thank you. Moving on to number 22, uh, discussion direction, uh, sorry, it's 2023-23, um, discussion direction, history of Skyline Ridgeline Ordinances and Variance Approval Authority. Tara? Sorry, Tara, I should have slowed down. Good exercise, though. Well, good evening, uh, Mayor and Town Council members. Uh, we wanted to present to you um, just some information on Skyline Ridgeline and the variance process that goes with it. So I've got a brief overview for you on our Skyline Ridgeline Ordinance. It was first adopted in February of 1999. Uh, the map in front of you is very Colorful, I'll explain some of that, but this is uh, the Skyline Ridgeline map um, that you can access online. Uh, the goal was to protect certain Skyline and Ridgeline views. So there were five protected areas that the ordinance creates. Uh, three that are called skyline. So there's a major skyline area shown in solid red, uh, which does not allow structures to be built in, uh, also referred to as no-build zones. Uh, the moderate skyline limits the 
maximum building heights to 25 feet. That's shown in a solid yellow on the screen. Um, and the minor skyline area in blue allows building heights up to 35 feet. Uh, there are also two other areas uh, shown on the map as ridgeline. Uh, the major ridgeline is a red hatch. Um, you can see that in the area of the Mimmon Ridge project we'd spoken about previously. There's some red hatch lines there as well as over in the ridgeline open space. Uh, that is also a no-build area. And then there is a minor ridgeline area uh, that has green hatching on it, um, and that would allow structures up to 35 feet. Um, a typical single-family home is 35 feet in height, so you might be asking what is the minor ridgeline or skyline doing if they allow 35 feet. But the ordinance also puts in place additional landscaping screening requirements. It also limits uh, the reflectability of the paint color on homes or buildings as well as requiring earth tones. So there's some other elements to it. So a little bit about the ordinance. Um, how it came about in 1999, our community was pretty passionate after some homes were constructed up on a, a very prominent ridge line um, up off Diamond Point. And so the planning commission was um, part of the program tasked with uh, getting this put together. There was a, a community view shed committee, uh, there was a consultant hired, um, and they worked very closely with the planning commission throughout the process. Um, overall, the, it's based on 232 viewing platforms, which are shown as the little orange dots um, on this map. Uh, they run through town on various um, roads. Uh, there is one that's over off um, near Butterfield that's that's not really in line in, with the other ones. Um, but of the 232 viewing platforms, a consultant came in and did some computer simulations um, that they could do in 1998 when this was put together uh, that would demonstrate where different height structures could be viewed from. So this graphic uh, comes from um, a, a different document, but it really demonstrates that in the red, major skyline, also major ridgeline, no structures are allowed. Uh, where things are mapped in the yellow, a 25-foot home uh, in moderate skyline uh, or 25-foot structure would be allowed. And the minor skyline, similar to minor ridgeline, would allow up to a 35-foot structure. So that visually demonstrates part of what the ordinance is getting at uh, wanting to make sure structures don't break the view plane. Now, I want to, the reason I have the other text on the slide talking about where things are visible from is this ordinance doesn't prohibit any view from ever being broken. It's very specific that it has to come from these 232 viewing platforms, and the consultant uh, determined, or we determined as a town when we adopted this ordinance and we accepted the consultant study, um, that if it's visible from 16 or less platforms, it would not be mapped. So there are still in areas of town that are not mapped as protected, it is visible from 16 or less um, platforms. Uh, if it was, if a 35-foot home was visible from between 17 and 64 platforms, then it was mapped um, as the minor blue color, so a 35-foot home would be allowed there. 17 to 64 points that could see a 25-foot home was mapped as moderate, so there's differences there. Uh, the no-build zones came about if it was visible from 65 or more points um, than it is, was said it couldn't be built on. So I just want to make sure that there's some understanding that it doesn't mean it will never be seen from any viewing platform. None of these viewing platforms were rated any more or less important than the other. Uh, it's just a matter of how many platforms it could be seen from. So when this ordinance was put in place, there were discussions on um, um, variances, what if um, the data isn't 
isn't accurate? Uh, what if um, an applicant could demonstrate that it's not visible? Um, you know, what are the options as well as existing homes? If an existing home was adding an addition and they were already built at you know 30 feet, would they be allowed to add an addition? So a variance provision was put in the code. Um, so in 1999, um, I could not find uh, for for everyone's um, knowledge why Planning Commission was listed as the variance approval body. It's not clearly stated as to the why. Um, what staff understands is Planning Commission was heavily involved in the creation of the ordinance. They worked very closely with um, the consulting uh, companies and the company and the um, committee. Um, so it probably felt like a natural fit at that time that the variances went to Planning Commission. Um, appeals go to Town Council. The ordinance was uh, amended in 2003 where it was just clarified that an appeal to Town Council had to happen within 30 days of an action by Planning Commission. So again, both in 1999 and 2003, at that time, Council felt comfortable with uh, those decisions happening at Planning Commission. In your packet, I have a chart that that talks through all the variance applications we've received. So in the past 24 years, we've had nine variance requests to Skyline Ridgeline. Um, two of them were for single lots. So one was a addition to an existing home and one was for a cell tower. Um, and then the other seven variance requests were for multiple lots. So they ranged from anywhere from 17 to 182 lots. I'm not going to fully get into the merits of the ones that were approved, but these are just two graphics that explain the data that the applicant had to present. So for all of the various viewing platforms that could see their site, um, they they had to demonstrate whether they were visible or not. Uh, sort of the, the black and white one on the left-hand side demonstrates from this particular viewing platform that there was existing topography that was blocking where the proposed 35-foot uh, homes were on the right. Um, this packet had cross-sections um, from multiple viewing platforms. This is just one example. The one on the bottom right over in the meadows uh, was a photo simulation packet. I think this um, application had probably a couple hundred pages to it of, of various photo simulations, but the applicant was able to demonstrate that the homes that they were seeking a variance for did not break the planes um, and met the criteria. So Planning Commission has been acting on the few of these that have come before them. Um, Staff, we have gotten questions on, oh, do I really have to comply with Skyline Ridgeline? Um, we let them know it's a very onerous task that they have to go out and look at all the viewing platforms. They have to provide the data. They can't just say, we don't think it's visible from viewing platforms. Um, and so we don't get a lot of requests. But as you uh, can see in your packet, and as I demonstrated here, um, there have been nine requests over the past 24 years. So. Council, it's up to you on how you want to move forward with the variance. Um, it can, it, this has generally worked, um, uh, but it can also be changed. That's the beauty of, of council. So my recommendation has a lot of different parts for your consideration. You could um, do nothing, um, or you could look at changing all authority to come to town council. Um, I had two parts to my recommendation because a single lot request, um, if it's an existing homeowner or business, um, you know, do they go straight to council is one option, right? They have one public hearing before council to make their case. Um, but the multi-lot requests 
all usually have gone with a site development plan. And a site development plan is going to planning commission for recommendation before going on to council. So my recommendation for multi-lot requests is to just sync that up with the site development plan process where it goes to planning commission as a part of the site development plan um, for recommendation and then to council for decision. But you are welcome to um, change it really however you want. Uh, that's just the the motion that I put together uh, to really kind of streamline if there's a single lot request. We've had two in the past 24 years, uh, but having them go through one public hearing, just shifting that from being at planning commission to council, um, and then having multi-lot requests follow along the site development plan process. So that's my recommendation, but uh, you're happy to make any motion you see fit. So I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Any questions for Tara? I guess I have, I have one. Maybe two, but one for sure. Um, so seven really, then two other ones in 24 years. So every three years or so, uh, we're going to ask for a variance. Has, has there any been? Has there been a problem with, with the planning commission having this authority? Have you? I mean, do you remember any? I've not heard of any. I will say it feels awkward, maybe to come to council with the site development plan, saying this one part's already been decided. Um, by a different board, uh, but that's really, that, that's, I don't describe that as a problem. Um, Planning Commission has done a very thorough job, the various boards over the years, of really going through all the detail, and I should back up to say staff has done a good job of really raking the engineers and, and um, applicants over the coals to make sure their packets were very solid. Um, and I would say back in 2000, 11 and 14, we had a couple applicants that provided very thorough application packets, so that was sort of the gold standard, you know, so if if this new applicant is thinking about it, here's an example of what they need to do, and uh, some of them just felt like that was too much work, and they built their 25-foot homes and moved on, right? So uh, staff has worked tireless, tirelessly to make sure they check all the boxes. Planning Commission has had robust conversations about them at meetings. Um, so I would not describe it as a problem, but um, is it awkward to sit in front of you and say everything else, you know, this one item's been decided on? Yeah, yeah, but that's up to you guys. Okay, thank you. I was just curious. And then, um, I, again, thank you for all your work on this. Any more questions for Tara? I know it's time for speaking on this. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature. Phone and callers can press star three and, and you can name, say, please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. <coughs> Seeing no, bring back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. I guess my, my discussion is I just, I'm not sure if it's something we need to need to act on, it happens so infrequently. Um, and like you mentioned, that they have a really kind of gold standard on what they have to do. Um, I think I just feel like that there was more of like, you know, this, I mean, I have, I've had nobody mention this in I don't know how long. So, and I think that the, that the skyline ridge, ridge line in general is very important, and I'm glad we did it back in 1999. Um, it was unfortunate we couldn't do it a little earlier. Um, but that's, I guess that's just my, my, my take on it. Laura Cavey. Um, everybody already knows where I stand, but I'll state it again. I don't believe in giving away elected power. I think if anything does go wrong, the residents have every right to hold their council member responsible for whatever the issue is. 
And I don't think it's that hard with an STP to have it come back before us as a whole package. Thank you. Thank you. Any more discussion? Nope. Matthew. I mean, sorry, Max. Um, and then Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Kind of, I think every, I mean, I, I asked staff to, to bring this forward, and so I think you probably know how I feel about it, but it seems very, as you had mentioned, incongruent. Um, yeah, I guess the whole thing about how often it comes up could be argued a couple of different ways, right? Um, you know, you could say, so I was on planning commission, and I can remember when we had a skyline ridgeline come before us, and we sat through an extensive learning session, because when you talk about 232 viewing platforms, it's nothing that that planning commission had ever been part of before. And so there was a, a huge educational process that had to happen first. Um, you know, I'm not saying that they're not capable. I'm not saying that the, those volunteers are not in the right spot, but we deal with this more. You know, we, we, we deal with it. And, and in the same way, you know, we don't, I, I can't remember the last time I ever heard about, you know, a, a McDonald's coming before town council. It doesn't happen very often, but I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have wanted that decision to have been made by planning commission. Um, and that was within three and a half feet of that of that variance, you know, it was mentioned tonight. We've had in successive meetings now two mentions of Skyline Ridgeline, Mimmon, and we've also had uh, even McDonald's a mention to it. I mean, can you imagine if, if Planning Commission had uh, had voted for a variance of 25 and a half feet for McDonald's that we didn't have the opportunity to say anything about? You know who they're going to come back to? They're going to come back to us. They're going to come back to to council and say, well, you know, why weren't you involved? And you know, I, I just, I think that that how often it comes up is not necessarily a consideration in, in my mind. And then also I'd like to point out that the motions that are before us um, are not to make a decision tonight, but simply to draft an ordinance for, for you know, a future meeting, um, you know, for consideration. Um, the Memon Ridge, I think, is another great example. As, as infill continues to be kind of the name of the game, right? I don't know that there's anything that's an easy quote-unquote development. They all have their challenges to some degree. But as infill becomes more and more the name of the game, these things are going to become more of an issue. Again, we've been talking about it the last couple of, couple of meetings. Uh, it would have uh, affected Councilwoman's Lafour, Memon Ridge. Mm -hmm. Council, Councilwoman LaFleur's district, Councilwoman Cavey would have had to answer for it because it kind of touches in that same area and so would I. Um, I want to read something just quickly. Um, this is from 1748020 about specifically the Skyline Ridgeline Ordinance. Okay, it says, within corporate limits of the town, there are many significant landforms, including mesas with distinct ridgelines, usually at higher elevations. These topographical features distinguish the town and Douglas County from metropolitan Denver and accordingly constitute a unique natural resource meriting protection and preservation. We're talking about the identity of the town here. I'm not saying that volunteers aren't adequately equipped to be able to make those decisions, but I'm telling you that we're the elected officials and we're talking about protecting the unique characteristics of the town. It's up to us. I appreciate that, Max. Thank you. Any further discussion? Oh, yeah. oh, sorry, Mayor Pro Bracken. Yeah, no problem. No, I, 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 I'm a position that the planning commission is in place and selected by town council, and uh, and um, I, I trust their opinion and uh, and that they'll do good work. So, yeah. Thank you. 
Uh, Councilmember Dietz. Well, since we're still up for a motion, I direct staff to draft an ordinance for future council consideration that changes the Skyline Ridge Variance Authority to have single lot requests be approved through town council and multi-lot requests be included in the site development plans go to planning commission for recommendation and then to town council for final decision. Second. We have a first from Councilmember Dietz, a second from Councilmember Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. I'd like to wait for her. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur, she? She stepped out, I'm not sure. Should we, okay. should we wait or? No. Okay. Um, where am I? Um, Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken? No. Mayor Gray? No. So the. Passes. Motion passes for it. Thank you. I guess. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's just. Next, I have item 23, resolution 2023-0101, resolution approving the construction contract between the town of Castle Rock, Huddick Ex Excavating Inc., DBA, HEI Civil, for the Four Corners Intersection Improvement Project. Dan. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, Council. I'm very pleased to uh, present this item to you. This is a major milestone for this significant uh, project for the uh, community. Um, this is a recommended construction contract for um, starting the, the improvements at the Four Corners uh, Intersection. Um, and just as a reminder, that's a nickname that we, we've titled uh, this location. It's four distinct uh, um, street names that are coming in this one intersection. On the left-hand side, we have Fifth Street. Um, north is to the top of the page. So Founders Parkway um, is at the top of the page. And then Highway 86 to the uh, right. And then uh, Ridge Road at the bottom of the page. This is just a reminder that our staff is focused on making sure that we're ensuring that all of our efforts are geared toward maximizing the value for our community, and we have done that in this case. Um, this map shows the improvements uh, that will be um, constructed and, and finalized when it's uh, finally completed. Um, so just to give an overview of, of the improvements that we're making, uh, starting on the left-hand side of the uh, page with uh, Fish Street, we'll be adding two through lanes that will go through the intersection and a dedicated left turn lane as well as a dedicated right turn lane. Um, as we move clockwise um, over to Founders Parkway at the top of the page, there will also be two through lanes that go through the intersections um, as well as two dedicated turn, left turn lanes and a dedicated right turn lane. Um, continuing clockwise uh, over to Highway 86, um, two dedicated through lanes, a dedicated left turn lane, and also a dedicated right turn lane. And then finally, at the uh, bottom on Ridge Road, there will be two dedicated uh, through lanes, two uh, left turn dedicated lanes, and a dedicated right turn lane. So significant improvements to this major intersection that serves the region um, that's expected to provide capacity to meet the future demands for the surrounding uh, region. Um, on the left-hand side, it does talk about some of the high-level milestones that we'll be trying to maintain during uh, construction. This, this is a state-owned facility, um, so there are some additional requirements that we have to meet, as, as well as some federal requirements associated with some of the funding that we receive from a, a grant through Dr. Cog. 
but our goal is again is to try to minimize the inconvenience to the public as David has mentioned uh, before on private uh, on previous issues this is a needed improvement we understand that there will be some inconvenience as we're going through this but we do ask for for the patients and we think it'll be well received when we're done uh, this talks about the uh, um, the the bid that we received from the, the contractors so on the left hand side is what our design consultant had estimated the cost of the construction to be and on the right hand side was the uh, the bid we received from Hudick to, to complete the work um, we did only receive one bid on this uh, we had uh, six that came to our mandatory pre-bid um, and it's not too uncommon for a project of this size that has federal requirements uh, there's uh, sometimes not uh, contractors that are really geared up to be able to do that However, we are confident that uh, uh, we did receive the right contractor for this work. They have been pre-approved by CDOT. Um, we did check all the references. Everything was in line with, with the, uh, the items that we had in this. So we're, we're confident that they'll do a great job and, and, and are confident with our recommendation for them to be the, the right contractor to complete the work. This provides an overview of the of the budget. Um, we are asking for a little bit larger contingency than we typically have on projects, um, particularly because we're not sure what the winter conditions uh, will bring again uh, uh, for this coming year. Um, if, if we do have a long and harder winter, um, it will require some additional work on the on maintaining the the temporary traffic control through that. So. Um, we're anticipating that the 15% recommendation will be sufficient to be able to do that, but we're also hopeful that we'll be able to get the work done well underneath that, that, that encumbrance amount. So the bottom kind of provides an overview of the revenue that we have dedicated toward the project. Uh, we did receive a federal grant through Dr. Cog for, for this work in 3.6 million. Uh, our funding partner, uh, um, Douglas County, has contributed a million dollars toward the project. And then the town is covering the, the balance of that at 7.7 million. And this is a high level overview of the, of the projected schedule. Uh, we're, we're anticipating to issue notice to proceed uh, immediately after council action if you do approve us tonight. And then uh, anticipate uh, having the project completed toward the end of, of summer of 2024. We did take this to the Public Works Commission, um, and they unanimously recommend that town council approve the contract, um, and staff does also support that recommendation, and uh, happy to answer any questions. Questions, Laura Cavey? Hey, Dan, can you go back to the one that depicts the changes? I don't, I don't remember which, uh, yeah, four. So today we have dedicated left-hand turn lanes for all four corners. So are you saying that the additional pieces will be two through lanes on each side or all four sides? Right, on, on all the four sides we'll have uh, uh, two dedicated through lanes going through, correct? And then they'll all continue to keep their dedicated left-hand turn lanes, right? Because they all have that today, Right. right? And then there'll be, I guess there'll be one where you can just automatically turn right off a of fifth onto ridge. Is that yeah, all? All uh, approaches will have that ability to have that dedicated right to, uh, uh, turn lane as well. Okay, so every one of the every corner now will have a dedicated right hand turn lane. Correct. Okay. I'm just curious because obviously I drive this intersection pretty much. <laughs> 
<laughs> every day. Sure. And it's a disaster. So, um, what are I, I was listening, but are, is there anything else that I can articulate to the public that it would be another major change here? Two, two through lanes all the way around. Dedicate one, but it's only one left-hand turn lane for each corner, right? It's not two, right? Just one. Well, it depends on the approach. So for, okay. for Ridge and Founders, there's two dedicated left turn lanes. For Ridge, okay. And I, I'm happy to send you this graph, graphic too. Going um, north. Okay. Then there's, okay, I got it. There's, there's two, two left-hand turn lanes. Right, for, for both one. Ridge and for Founders Parkway. Okay. Will you just send me this so I'm not Absolutely. asking you 10 million questions up here? Certainly, and you can, you can certainly forward them to us, too. We're happy to, to answer any questions as well. We do have information on the town's website um, th that provides information uh, uh, on the improvements as well. So there, there's a variety of different uh, ways that we can answer those questions. I've just had a lot of people asking because, obviously, we all know this is a very, very busy intersection. And, you know, right now, today, it's kind of a mess even more so because of the construction that's going on on Ridge Road, right? And we've gone down to two lanes and nobody can turn left into King Supers and it's, it's a nightmare. And so now everybody's trying to turn left going south on Founders, right? They're trying to turn left onto 86, right? And then make a right into King Supers. And so the left-hand turn lane now goes all the way to the light <laughs> to my entrance into terrain. Now, I know that's um, just temporary because of what's going, you know, the construction that's going on on Ridge Road. But I can see how it would be helpful to have two left-hand turn lanes so people can we move that traffic along. Because even this little bottleneck has, has backed traffic all the way up to, to that light at my entrance. So... Yeah, it, it's definitely been recognized as a town priority to, 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 to improve the capacity at this. And we're, we're just uh, grateful to be able to have the opportunity and the resources to be able to move into construction. There's no question that there will be some, some inconvenience and some frustrations. Again, we, we, we recognize that. We try to minimize that. Ridge Road should be wrapping up here. Um, uh, um, toward the later part of the summer, and, and and then we'll be moving into this. So the the transition will be good. Um, you know, the improvements on Ridge will be done by the time they're actually starting to to close down some of these aspects. So uh, again, really appreciate folks' patience. We we recognize uh, that, that it'll be an inconvenience for sure. Well, I appreciate all your hard work on this. Thank you, yep. David. Councilmember Kirby, I just was going to point out this very graph is. Uh, online in the agenda packet this evening. So if you want to look at that and just let Shannon or I or Dan know, we'll be happy to make a bunch of copies of it if you if you need to use it to explain. And this will be a great item for Councilmember Cavey's uh, Absolutely, I was going to mention that. Open house to, to show that because, yeah, it's... Um, it, I mean, this is a significant improvement to that intersection. Absolutely. Um, it's not an inexpensive um, improvement, but... Um, it's uh, it's going to add a number of turning features that are going to allow the the public to to move through. And this is a regional facility. I mean, this is not just Castle Rock residents that are using it. I mean, there right. are a number of residents from Douglas County and Elbert County that are using it as well. I mean, I've even noticed lately, which doesn't have anything to do with the construction on Ridge Road, but when you're coming up Fifth Street and you're going east, I guess basically, right, and the traffic will back up all the way down to that first light by where they're building Calvary Chapel. 
I mean, it's crazy. Oh. So this is a hugely much-needed improvement. A lot of traffic, not all of it. A lot, a lot of it's Castle Rock, but a lot of it's generated by the activity in Elizabeth and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, just to make my, well, I've, well, I've got the microphone, quick editorial comment. Um, Director of Public Works, how much money is the Colorado Department of Transportation putting into this project that has two state highways connecting to it? I love I love putting you uh, putting me in the crosshairs, uh, Dave. But zero, there's there's no money that's coming from the state. Dr. Cog, which is federal money, is putting in quite a bit. Douglas County is putting in a million dollars. So uh, we appreciate that partnership, but it's a significant local investment for a facility that obviously benefits Castle Rock residents when it's finished, but really serves as a regional. Uh, transportation hub. If somebody living in in Elizabeth or Elbert County wants to get on I-25, Dunkin' Donuts to dollars. No, no, no comment. No, no, no pun intended. Um, they're they're going to be coming through this intersection. I got to say, I'm very disappointed in CDOT, and I will say that publicly. Between what they haven't done here. The fact that they haven't helped us one penny for CVI. Not only that, but they've charged us. To, to even get approval to do it, I just find it absolutely outrageous. Any more questions for Dan? Sorry. No, you're wrong. you're not wrong. Well, you're I'm not sorry wrong. Sorry to get on. <laughs> <laughs> if there's no more questions for Dan, I have no one time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and call from press star three and state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll break back down council for a proposed motion and discussion. I move town council approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second. First by Laura Cavey, second by Tim Dietz. I'd like to speak in favor of it. I mean, I everyone knows here we how, how bad we need it. And it's unfortunate we couldn't get it done sooner. Um, and it's unfortunate we couldn't get more partners. Um, but we are glad for the partners we have with, with uh, Dr. Cog and the county. So that's much appreciated. Um, any more discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember KV. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Deeds. Yes. Mayor for Tim Bracken. Yes. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Number 24, resolution 2023-102. Resolution approving the Castle Rock's doctor, oh, doctor, uh, CDBG 2023 annual action plan. Tara? All right, good evening. Uh, so last on the agenda for you all this evening as the Community Development Block Grant. Uh, we are talking specifically tonight about the funding for 2023 and how we would propose to utilize it. Um, I'll start first with a quick overview of the CDBG program. Um, it does come out of uh, federal authorization under Title I of the Housing and Community Development Act. Uh, the program grants funds based on a formula uh, that looks at a specific jurisdiction's um, population, um, levels of poverty, um, overcrowded housing, and age of housing stock. So the primary objective of their program is to help create viable urban communities, uh, principally uh, in areas for persons of low and moderate income, uh, through making sure there's decent housing, uh, suitable living environments, and expanded economic opportunities. Uh, we first began um, 
entitlement status as a community in 2020. Uh, so I do want to say that there have been and continue to be a lot of questions about CDBG. Um, so I want to make sure everyone knows that town staff as well as our consultant, uh, we do continue to monitor the CDBG regulations and or the various definitions that uh, change at the federal level. Um, and to date, um, uh, we have not seen any changes that would impact the town's land use autonomy. Uh, so if any of that changes, uh, there are exit points along the way, exit ramps, um, options. Um, so I'll start with that. Uh, hopefully we'll end with that too. I'm happy to answer questions on that. But in 2021, when we accepted entitlement status, um, we had to prepare a consolidated plan. So HUD requires a five-year plan uh, where we engage with the community, we determined what our needs are, right? Because every community is different. Um, the chart that you see here on the left-hand side, those were our two main priority needs that the town of Castle Rock determined that we would um, spend CDBG funding on. So the, the largest one is improvements to public facilities and infrastructure. Um, those need to be related to ADA improvements and in areas, um, if possible, with low to moderate income. Uh, the second uh, priority need is support services um, for low to moderate and special needs um, folks. So we identified specifically for Castle Rock services for seniors and support services uh, for LMI and special needs groups. So everything we talk about each year um, through 2025 relate to those two priority needs. Um, and just wanted to touch on that. That was adopted in July of 21. So um, each year, uh, the federal government allocates the CDBG grant money to the town. So our first program year of 2021, we were allocated just over $230,000 uh, for 2022, which is actually the program year we're in right now. It goes through the end of September. Uh, we were allocated just under $245,000. I'll give you a quick update for 2021. Uh, we use that money for public facility improvements at the Butterfield restrooms with ADA upgrades to that facility. And for public services, we worked with um, our senior center to expand their home delivery of hot meals to seniors. We also are allowed to spend a percentage of the funds um, on the administration of the program. So whether it's our uh, grant administrator positions or uh, what we need to pay to a consultant to help us get through the HUD uh, programming requirements. Uh, so 2022, the current program year looks very similar. We have uh, identified public facility improvements most likely will be ADA upgrades at the Cantrell School. Uh, that's what we're planning. Um, and then again, with the Senior Center expanding their home delivery of hot meals. So those are the two past years. Tonight's action is to make the annual plan for the 2023 dollars. Um, you can see that it goes up um, every year. So this year we're looking at how do we allocate the $255,712. Again, same two main priority needs. Uh, in the chart at the bottom, uh, we are proposing to spend 65% or allocate 65% toward public facilities and infrastructure projects. Um, public services, which is where our hot meal delivery program sits, um, uh, is only allowed to, to be awarded up to 15%. So we are identifying 15%, uh, so about $38,000 uh, for the next program year. And then CDB administration is also capped at 20%. Um, so that is what our plan is to spend those dollars. Um, and so that is what we are looking for uh, council's um, approval and action to move that forward. 
public outreach. So HUD requires a great deal of public outreach. Um, we did have an open house in May. Um, we had one non-resident public member attend. It was advertised um, in a variety of areas. Uh, we are currently in a 30-day public comment period, which ends today. Uh, so far, we have received no public comments on the plan, again, just for 2023, how to spend that about $256,000. Um, tonight is the public hearing where we're asking council uh, to consider the resolution approving the 2023 funding. Um, if approved tonight, then we move forward with submitting the 2023 annual action plan to HUD. It's required to be submitted to them by August 16th. Uh, and that, that starts again, the funding that would be utilized starting October 1st. Um, Overall, again, we do continue to monitor rule changes. There are some draft rules um, out there, but nothing that's been uh, formalized or even explained in greater detail. Um, we feel confident that the town can maintains our control on making land use decisions. Um, if we see anything that indicates otherwise, we will bring that to you, as well as our consultant works nationally with um, a wide variety of jurisdictions, some that are much larger than us that have much uh, more complicated budgets uh, re with regard to this item, and they've not seen any clear definitive um, uh, changes that would cause us uh, staff to recommend exiting the program. Um, other requirements, you'll see us back in front of you every December that we run CDBG for our annual performance and evaluation report, also called a CAPER. Uh, we have a lot of acronyms in this program. Um, and so in December, we would be in front of you um, explaining to you how we spent the $2022 while we're in the middle of the 2023 program. So with that, I'm happy to answer um, any questions you might have. Uh, we obviously recommend that you approve the resolution as introduced by title uh, so we can continue to move forward with this program. Um, it does. It is a small dollar amount um, in the, the greater scheme of everything that happens in Castle Rock, but we do know it touches um, folks in our community that, has, that have needs, and especially that the Hot Meals Delivery Program is just fantastic to hear about the increased and, and the folks that get to utilize that. So. Um, that's all I have for tonight. Any questions for Tara? Laura Cavey. When we're allocating this money, does it also go towards like, do a lot of our parks have um, ADA parking? Um, and then we're talking about the new park that is gonna go over in Councilmember Dietz's um, district. Are we putting restrooms in there? If so, would we also use some of this money to make them ADA accessible? Those are kind of my questions. Are we yeah. looking at also when we go to maybe revive a, a, a park or redo it, are we taking these dollars and, and helping when we revive those parks to add in either ADA parking or ADA you know, restroom facilities, I guess, kind of get the gist of my question. Yeah, no, definitely, Councilmember Cave, that's a great question. Um, so we do have to look at the various parts of our town as, as at the income levels. I'm not sure how best to describe that. Butterfield qualified because it is a regional park and it has a large draw, um, but we don't have very many areas of town that are low to moderate income that meet those census block data points. Um, Cantrell School is in an area that does um, meet the requirements through HUD, so that rose to the top of our list. Um, in previous years, right, so prior to 2020, um, 
the town's allocation, if you will, of CDBG funding went through to the county to administer, so we had not administered it. But I know we successfully applied for and received some funding for ADA improvements downtown. A lot of the curb ramps were changed out. Um, but I would suspect that the park in Plum Creek, um, the, the newer park, might not hit the census data requirements. So all of that gets looked at, and our uh, consultant help, helps us analyze that as we rank and come up with, with projects. But we try not to leave any stone unturned. Um, it is a lot of process, um, requirements. Um, I hate to use the phrase of bureaucratic red tape, but it is a lot of work for a very small amount of money. So uh, Butterfield was a great example because we could utilize a large chunk on one project. Uh, but that one also required a great deal of um, confirming that uh, <laughs> bacon wage, you know, that, that certain wages were being paid to certain people and we had to go audit and, and ask contractors. So there's a lot of work to it. So we wouldn't probably want to have a wide variety of small projects, uh, but where we're able to find large projects that check all the right boxes and qualify, uh, that's what we're trying to do right now. I appreciate all that information. I think the public, you know, when they listen, will appreciate that information so they understand that we can't just allocate this money anywhere that there's a lot of caveats and a lot of hoops i guess that have to be jumped through right, right in order to be able to use this funding so i appreciate the fact that everybody works so hard to make sure that we can actually use the money appropriately so thank you thank you max brooks yeah to your point a lot of hoops you know, a lot of uh, very specific items. I, I, I want to say thank you very much to town staff for going through this and ensuring that there aren't any trap doors, any, you know, hey, you, we give you this and we need this back, you know, quid pro quo type, you know, swap money for land use autonomy. You know, we've seen enough of that recently and I think that we're probably already a little bit wary. You know, I, I know we're turning over Proposition 123 to see if there's anything like that within that element when it comes to uh, uh, affordable housing money that seems to be free money. No such thing. Um, so, so thank you for for doing uh, your due diligence and ensuring that there's not anything that we get kind of trapped in, and also the assurance that we do have some off ramps should anything pop up. So, uh, thank you. Any more questions for staff? Seeing none, I have no one time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak, please approach the podium. And speaking to microphone, or online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone in the callers can press star three. Please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. May I make a quick comment? Yep, Laura Katie. So I know some of the concerns around this money also have to do with what Dave and I actually talked about this a little bit before the meeting. Um, some of the concerns are that they could possibly introduce in here that, you know, that they would want some sort of ability to control, you know, our land use. And on that topic, I want to make council aware that the governor has resurrected SB 22. So I'm sure everyone's shocked, but he did. So we will be fighting that again this year. It's, it's coming. So he, they have resurrected it. I don't know in what form it will end up looking like, but I just wanted council to be aware that it is back in front of him to try and get it passed through the next um, legislative session. 
I move to approve the resolution as introduced by title. Second. Uh, first by Max Brooks, a second by Ryan Hollinshead. Any further discussion? Just again, thank you. Um, and uh, I appreciate you doing it. I know it's a lot of, lot of work for you guys, but I do appreciate the hard work. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Potem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Uh, before we adjourn, uh, we just got note that uh, an individual, we got a lot of hard work done today. Um, but um, it kind of pales in comparison when we lose somebody in the community. We just lost somebody in, um, this, this evening who uh, fell off the rock. And uh, it kind of, um, it, uh, it just, uh, I mean, it shook me tonight. And I, I know me and Desi were talking about it a little bit. and. Um, just our, everything goes out to our families and, and also our own families. Go home and hug your family. Uh, go home and, and thank them for being around because uh, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Um, thank you very much. The time is 9.25. I will ask the motion to adjourn the meeting. So moved. Second. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Bracken had uh, first. Laura Kivy had second. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Pertem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passed unanimously. Thank you. We are adjourned.